You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans. Welcome back to Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on The Mandalorian and The High Republic and all the other newly announced cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Tim and Paul. How's it going, guys? Wow, I feel like a broken record, excuse me, saying this almost on every episode, but man, what another amazing couple of episodes of The Mandalorian we got to talk about today. And a little sad that it's the last two, but boy, did it go out with a bang. And this is going to be a fun, heavy, exciting discussion. I can't wait to talk about it with you guys. Mm -hmm. It's it's a, uh, it's crazy. This has been... This last month, you know, let's just say the last four weeks have just been a really crazy time for Star Wars. And we, you know, we've recorded like, you know, eight hour podcast, basically the last, you know, what, two episodes. And yeah, but like, and you think about it with all the announcements and all the things that are being revealed in the shows and it's just Star Wars is in a really unique place that it's, we, I, I honestly never thought going into 2020 at this at this time frame it would be like this like there would be this much excitement and everyone is on the star it feels like everyone's on the star wars train right now because before it seemed like right before i mean really quickly i'm gonna get talk about tangents here kyle but like you know think about this for a second guys post uh the clone wars there was really nothing and i I know the pandemic and and celebration you know that being canceled but if you think about it, like they really did not have much really going for it. And it, it didn't really seem besides the Mandalorian that there was going to be any announcements. And so to go from completely 180 that to this is just kind of insane to me, you know, and like it's it, I almost feel it, it is unfortunate if I, I, you got to wonder if they had hindsight, they would like what like, for instance, the High Republic announcement they had back in February Maybe they make that announcement about uh, Headley's uh, Acolyte series during that if the pandemic was going to shut down Celebration, et cetera, et cetera. Something like that. But yeah, and like I said on our last episode, I'm sure a lot of those announcements are stuff that we would have gotten at Celebration and was probably stuff they were saving for that. But But, um, And and, and really quickly, I'll end on this, is that I've been saying New Normal a lot for Star Wars, and it seems like with The Mandalorian – and what we're getting right now with everything, it's this is the new Star Wars normal. This is the new normal for Star Wars. And it's it's really crazy that after this episode, it's just 
the the future is in the words of Tom Petty, Tim, uh, into the great wide open. Uh, oh, nice. And, and, and honestly, <laughs> my favorite really, album. Phenomenal album, and it really does feel that way. We're into the great white, you know, into the great wide open. Rebel without a clue. Ooh, uh, but yeah, this is <laughs> this is the yeah. I'm going going deep with Tom Petty fans here, but no, this is like the with well, this episode kind of like is the exclamation point of the announcement we got a couple weeks ago, and in many different reasons. But it feels like exclamation point of like this is the new Star Wars that we're going to have to get used to in a good way. So. I can't wait to get into this. There's lots of great stuff to get into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's weird. You know, I always say, hey, how you guys doing at the beginning of the episode? Like, if you're a Star Wars fan and you're not just doing great and on cloud nine right now, like, were you watching yesterday? Um, and, of course, we've got two episodes of The Mandalorian to talk about. Uh, and we're going to kind of try to get through the first one pretty quickly and then spend a whole bunch of time diving into all that stuff that happened in that incredible season finale um and yeah other than that not really any news to talk about or anything i mean obviously we spent like three hours on our last episode talking about all the new announcements and all that kind of stuff so not really much going on there except for just these mandalorian episodes so let's just jump right into it shall we oh yes um so of course two weeks ago we got uh chapter 15 the believer uh, picking up from where we left off, where uh, you know he, Din had met Boba Fett, and Grogu was taken by Moff Gideon after going to Tython, and him you know sitting on the Seeing Stone and sending out that call and everything. Um, so in this episode, they got to break out Mayfeld from, uh, or not really break him out, but you know he goes to Cara Dune and gets her help to like get Mayfeld out of this Republic prison because he's former Imperial, so he needs his help to get into this Imperial facility and get like the coordinates for Moff Gideon's cruiser. Um, again, we don't really need to go through the episode like beat by beat. And it's funny because when you compare this episode to like the whole season, this one didn't have as many like huge shocking moments or like big character reveals. Like there was no Bo-Katan or Ahsoka or anything like that in this episode. In fact, this is also, I saw it pointed out, this is the only episode of the entire series to not feature the child at all. Um, but it was, I like, honestly, I think this might be the most like well-directed episode of the season. I thought Rick Famuyiwa just knocked it out of the park. Um, just from like the writing, the pacing, just his directing style, um, the visuals of the episode, it just felt really immersive and just a really like tight, well-told story and took a character like Mayfeld, who I didn't particularly care for back in season one and gave him some of the- You're insane. Look, I didn't hate him or anything. It was just kind of, eh, whatever. I know you love you that hate episode. Him. What? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm saying, you hate him. Uh, yeah, no, I'd like that episode in season one for me was, it's towards the bottom of my list, not because I didn't like it, but it's You're insane. just not one of my favorites. Um, and Mayfeld wasn't <sighs> one of my favorites. I, I mean, I thought he was fine, but again, like, and they've done this a couple times this season already, taking side characters from season one that I never thought we'd see again and wasn't expecting to and was totally fine with that, bringing him back. And it's like, oh, OK, they're actually doing some interesting stuff with him now. And I think Mayfeld got the the best of the bunch. Um, I think Pelimoto went from being annoying to just being fun. Uh, the the what do you call him? The blue fish guy um, went from it's being... Wrong. Uh, annoying to tolerable 
And Mayfeld went from being just okay to being like, wow, that's some really deep character development. And I actually really like this guy and where his uh, arc ended up for this episode. I, I was one of the people and I, I've been, I'm going to go ahead. I, I've a, I'm going to take credit, not credit necessarily, but I'm just going to let everyone remember, remind people that I have been pounding the drum for Rick Femua to get more Star Wars stuff to do since last season because he directed two of my favorite episodes. Episode two, which is, I think, still a phenomenal episode. And the episode you're talking about, uh, Kyle, episode five, uh, or six. It was yeah, six. Oh, episode six. Yeah, six. Sorry. Yeah, episode five was Dave Filoni's episode where everyone hates, but I still think it isn't that bad. Anyway, uh, episode six, um, where we have the, the basically the Suicide Squad show up, and it's Mayfield, and I, re- I recently rewatched it with my mom. And my dad and I just just reminded me of how much I liked it. I remember telling her, I'm like, yeah, a lot of people, you know, there's this this episode's kind of split. Some people love it. Some people don't really like it. She goes, really? She's like, yeah. And I go, yeah. And she goes, I liked it a lot. I'm like, yeah, 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 exactly. You know, and, and everyone, you know, titled their opinions and whatnot. But the, the, the thing is about Rick Famuyiwa is that he directed those two episodes. He co-wrote the second, the one that you didn't like as much, Kyle. With with Chris Yost, who also wrote um, the kind of bunch of a bunch of Marvel stuff, he actually uh, co-wrote uh, or wrote a bunch of Star Wars Rebels episodes. I, I forgot, um, but he's a comic book writer. He's been doing this a while. He's you know whatever. But him and Rick co-wrote this this episode or that episode. And I loved it, and I you know I, I just his style just it was it was different enough, but it was also. He, he just knew how to film things with Star Wars. I could just tell. And I'm like, man, I really like, I love what he's doing here on these episodes. His two episodes just really spoke to me as the visual language of Star Wars. And when I, you know, and I didn't know he directed this episode to the very end because I try to stay away from spoilers and all that stuff. And after this episode ended, I was like, of course Rick Famuyiwa wrote and directed this. This is phenomenal. And you said it best about the character Mayfield. And it's interesting that he... Again, I'm wondering if, like, if there was a reason that Mayfield was used specifically, you know, if it was because Rick or John or whatever. But it, it doesn't surprise me that the Rick was the one that really brought out this, this portion of, of, of Mayfield that you connected more with. And I just, I got to say that this, yeah, Rick Mua just is, he needs more. And with all these announcements we got for the, you know, the, the New Republic, uh, Rangers of the New Republic and all this stuff. It makes me think that he's not nearly done with Star Wars. And I'm really excited because if, you know, you brought up the point about Grogu not being in this episode, the first one. I, and you know what's funny is I didn't even think about it and I didn't even care. And and I, and we all know that, like, eventually Grogu will have to move on in some capacity, which we'll get into at some point. But this is a great example of why this show will have no – and any show I think afterwards, as long as it's well-written – People are going to connect to it, and you get moments like this, and characterizations like this, and great, you know, great writing like this. People are going to be eating up the Star Wars t- live-action TV series all day long. And um, I just, I just got to say, I've been beating that drum for a long, long time about Rick Famuyiwa, and it's nice to see that, you know, even though it's this is not regarded as like the best episode of the season, I think everyone would, would could all agree that yeah, this episode was actually like, like you said, Cal, it was written really, really well. It's just a really good overall episode. Like it's not top tier hype, but it's just like you need episodes like this for a TV series to survive long term for anything. And 
because this I thought did a great job of utilizing everything, the the runtime, the um, you know the budget. It was all really well orchestrated. I can't wait to go a little bit deeper into it. No, not as much as the next episode, but this episode to me is going to go down as maybe one of the better episodes in a sense to where it defines what Star Wars TV series might, what it's capable of on not like on the hype, you know, uh, uh, level, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I agree with both of you guys are saying about this episode and after watching it and just even going into it, I was expecting it to be kind of the penultimate episode to a season, like the one we got in season one was how it's pretty much like a part one and part two where you can watch them both back to back and it's like one singular story that is telling those two episodes and just have a direct lead up to the season finale, which this one did, but it's definitely a standalone episode when you watch this episode and then the rescue right after. Um, but at the same time, it was still a great penultimate episode <laughs> to uh, the season for uh, in a different way than I was expecting. Obviously, a lot of it dealing with the characterization and what we learned about Mayfield, but also for Din in this episode. It was a huge episode for Din Djarin in this one. Uh, so a lot of that stuff just made it a really great one. But as you know, as we talked about um, two episodes ago about the Jedi and the tragedy, just how excited I was about the possible, not even the possibility, but knowing for a fact that Din is going to be teaming up with Boba Fett and Fennec Shan. And just the idea of these characters in more episodes, I just couldn't wait to see. And obviously, the Believer was the first one we're going to get with Boba Fett teaming up with Din Djarin. And he didn't have to do much. He just could have stood there, get a few shots of him in the cockpit. And that was enough for me to just geek out <laughs> at seeing Boba Fett in this episode again. Because we had his amazing return. But just seeing the character again having quick conversations with other characters just standing there in his new and improved and his new paint job armor, which I'm not going to lie, took a little bit to get used to. Cause I just love, they're just a, a nice charm about that beat run down Mandalorian armor <laughs> that he's had for years. Yeah. So seeing it all polished up, uh, took a little bit to getting used to, but I still loved it and glad he kind of kept it with the robes he's been wearing too. It just looked a little more streamlined, more neat and cleaned, <laughs> but it looked awesome. I love his new look. But again, just having him in an episode, knowing that he's going to appear here and there throughout. And he was kind of mainly just the getaway driver in these two episodes. But I just love the fact that he's there and it didn't disappoint. And I maybe could have, I was hoping and expecting maybe a little more action on the ground with him and Din and Fennec and Cara Dune was like some gunfights. And we didn't get that with Boba in these two episodes, but still, I just love the part he played. And knowing this isn't the last we're going to see of him, I just loved the part he played throughout the remainder of this season, starting with the tragedy and then just seeing his, hearing him talk, just seeing him out there, I just was geeking out <laughs> through that. So all that started in the Believer episode, and it just continued on throughout the course of that episode. And of course, when we get to the finale, some more <laughs> huge stuff that I was geeking out with Boba, but I just will say that these last two episodes, for being the diehard Boba fan that I am, delivered on the potential of yeah. having him in this series. I was really, really pleased. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, think I think they really utilized him well. Like you said, using him almost as like the getaway driver, I thought was perfect because you have the the scene in episode six where he just goes ham kills all the stormtroopers it's every boba fett fan's dream come true just you know watching him go crazy with the blaster and the knee rockets and the backpack you know missile launcher and all that kind of stuff and it's like 
as much as we'd love to see more of that, you also don't want to sort of have him overshadow everybody else and have him, mm-hmm. you know, fighting all of Din's battles and just like single-handedly winning. Um, and yet also having him just be sort of the getaway driver doesn't feel like they're just like relegating him to the background because they're flying around in his ship. So like, of course, he's going to yeah. be the one to fly it. And you got all these other capable people that are still able to hold their own in a fight. Um, and you know, because of that, we still get to see more of Boba Fett. We get to hear more of Tamara Morrison's voice coming out of that helmet, which is worth the price of admission all by itself. And then we get to <laughs> totally see him flying. And then we get to see him flying around in Slave One, which is just fantastic. Like in in the rescue, we get to see him like firing the cannons and using the ion cannon and all that kind of stuff. And in uh, in the Believer, drops a freaking seismic charge on the Tie Fighters. Like and just oh. had some gorgeous shots, like of um, like when Slave One flies through. Like they they go to that planet Morak for the first time, and he's like flying low over those treetops. Um, on the way to the Imperial Refinery. Just some really cool shots, and I love seeing that ship again. Um, and how great was it, too, to see the interior of Slave 1 that we never saw before, where, like, the passengers sit, yeah, and you yeah. see it rotate. To that was unreal, dude. That was really that cool. Was now, unreal. I will say, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last episode, I was kind of mad because I got that spoiled for me oh, um, on, on Twitter, and it was like, it wasn't even, it, it's funny because it was a, re- a report from making Star Wars, and, like, I don't follow them anymore, but but it was just like a, a Star Wars fan page that I follow. That's usually just posting cool like Star Wars images and stuff like that or like, you know, stuff from the recent episodes of The Mandalorian. And they just happened to post this report that like uh, it was before episode six. So it was right before we saw Slave One show up for the first time. And they were like, well, apparently they built a, a practical set of the Slave One cockpit for the rest of the season of The Mandalorian. And I was like, oh, great. Well, I wish that had been a surprise. Then sure enough, it shows up in the next episode. But um, still, just, yeah, getting to see, like, the inside where they're all sitting and seeing the whole, like, rotation of it and everything, that was crazy. So here's the thing with Boba Fett. It went so crazy. So you brought up the whole paint job thing. And I'm a big costume guy. And everyone, you know, knows I love a good mask on my Star Wars characters. And, and, and I love the fact that Mask and helmets are definitely a part of this galaxy, and it's, they're kind of like you know they're almost like their new their faces, like they're instead of their true face. Mm-hmm. You know, there's that there's that great panel from the Twin uh, Engines of Destruction comic book um, with Boba Fett where uh, he says, "This is my face," which I I still wish I could hear you know, T Timo, Morrison here uh, say that at some point, which that would is be amazing. amazing. Oh God, <laughs> I would I would just blow up combust yeah. right there. But I, I, there's a couple comments I wanted to ask, say about that whole paint job thing because I think it, it's weird, Tim, because it was a little jarring at first, and and I was, I hate saying that because, but it was, it was like, whoa, weird. His armor looks really weird, but of course it couldn't look exactly the same because it's, you know, because before he said he didn't mess with it because it, it had gotten all his different damages or whatever, and he's kind of, you know, just kind of kept going, kind of a thing. What's kind of genius of doing that and not just keeping the armor as it was, it was basically uh, it's this is this is showing us like thematically through the this coloring of the armor that this is a new Boba Fett, that this is going to be like and I say new Boba Fett in a sense to where he's resurrected. So it's like it's mm-hmm. this is a new change for him. That's what which we'll touch on in a little bit. But you get what I'm saying. I feel like this this was a a conscious thing. To say like Boba Fett is is, is 
this is not just Boba Fett doing whatever. This is a whole new demeanor, like not almost like a new lease on life. And that's what it kind of came off to me as. And I like the fact that like it kind of represents that part of him. Like this is the new the new lease on life Boba Fett. And and almost like the way he's helping people, at least in, in this in this uh, example here, that's what it kind of signified. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but you know, I'm, I'm not the same person as I was, not necessarily, which we get, again, we'll get to that later. But what's amazing to me is that it both represents that and it's also like, oh, hey, we can sell more action figures and, and that kind of thing too. I mean, honestly, like it's it was kind of a genius thing. It's like, man, like it's the, I think the typical uh, the traditional fan in me would be like, put him in the traditional flight suit, get him in this, get him in that. And I think we'd all agree that he looked a little weird in episode six. I mean, still it was amazing, but it looks a little odd with the whole like the brown robe thing. But when he put on that black, the black one, and it just, it, you know, whatever, it, he looks phenomenal now. And I, I'm, yeah. I'm honestly, da- I'm down with this new look. And I like the fact that this is not just, you know, the, the temptation would be to put him right back in the same everything. And the fact they didn't do that signifies that this is a new a new Boba Fett in a sense to where it, you know, again where is he going it, it, this is change and and even having um you know uh Fennec Shan with him is is a change so like it, this is kind of a different new era of Boba Fett and this is about way of saying that and I think that's cool and, and the fact that he, he colored it is just really interesting and again it adds a, a new characterization to the character that we didn't have before and I appreciate that and I think that the fact that they did that and everyone and there wasn't a lot of complaints, at least as far as I saw. So it just shows you that everyone kind of accepted it and because, because it kind of made sense. So I loved it. I love and I, I gotta say, like it's it again, I, I it was really surprising and a little jarring like, for the first like couple minutes, but then I went, I'm kind of into it. And and obviously now I'm like what hundred percent sold, like give it to me every day, seven days a week, you know, 24-7. So yeah, I, I love this new Boba Fett and really quickly, one last thing, cause I am, I'm not sure if I'll have time to say it later on, but we got, uh, Morrison's voice for the few lines he had in return of the Jedi and empire strikes back. Right. And we had it for Django. Just empire. And, yeah, well, he technically, you could have him in return of the Jedi. Maybe he did but they did it though. That's the weird thing. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, does right, he, right. But, he doesn't even have any lines in Return of the Jedi except for the scream no, as he's falling I, into the circle. I what forgot the scream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What the? Yeah, but here's but here's the thing that I I thought I thought was really uh, I, I'm really loving is the fact that his voice is different for Boba Fett. It's different than Django. Mm-hmm. It's different. It, it's different, especially in the next and, episode. But but I but really quick tip. I I just want to say like hearing Morrison like knock out that voice. Like now I'm like okay. He owns his character now. Before it was like always hard for me, but after these these last three episodes, 100 percent I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, totally agree. And I don't know if you read some of the interviews that uh Temi R. Morrison has had, but he's made it a conscious a conscious effort to make his voice sound different mm-hmm. than what we're used to in the previous. 100 percent It nailed yeah. it. it, it yep. Especially in the next episode. Yeah, and I think I brought that up too when in the episode where he first showed up, and I thought maybe <laughs> it was just due to the fact that he's older and sounds a little bit like gruffer but like it works for the character but then yeah to see that that was a conscious choice on his part that he thought you know he saw the makeup test and like boba's scarred face and just knowing all that he's been through being chewed up and spit out by the sarlacc pit that he wanted the voice to reflect that i thought was really cool so 
um yeah it's great to see him back and i mean i love that new paint job on his armor too i think for me it it took a little bit of getting used to um maybe one or two rewatches of this believer episode that we're talking about because yeah when i first saw that i was like eh, it looks a, like it just looked too i don't know if flat is the right word but um you know we're we're so used to seeing that armor you know kind of worn and uh i think it used to be a little bit lighter green too like it seems to be a little bit darker shade of green now um but also to just have that paint so like even and not you know worn or scratched or dented or anything like that was like a little bit jarring at first but yeah the more i got used to it the more i was like you know what i like this and i like that he kept the robed look too underneath it so um yeah, great to see him back. Great to see Slave One back. Uh, like I said, hearing seismic charges again was just ear candy, and uh, I was freaking out when that thing went off. Um, but yeah, like I it was also, like, I you d- knew it was going to come at some point. It yeah, was just a matter yeah. of when. <laughs> and boy, did that. Well, it was funny though because when he when he did it though at the end of the episode, he's got the two Tie Fighters on his tail, and then he's like pulling evasive maneuvers to try to shake him i wanted him to do some kind of like fancy flip or something get the drop on the tie fighters because i just wanted to hear slave one's cannons again but nope he dropped the seismic charge instead and i just loved it um but also like i just love the whole aesthetic of this episode and like especially coming off of the tragedy where like paul i know you and i were both kind of complaining that it just looked a little too realistic and like they just went out in the desert with some people in stormtrooper costumes and just shot it out there and you know didn't put a whole lot into like building a a set within the volume or anything like that um and the contrast between that and this where you have them coming to this lush jungle world and then you've got like the turbo tank uh you know juggernaut things like rolling down this dirt road and you've got the villages and the imperial refinery and all that kind of stuff i absolutely love just the the set design and this whole thing from a production design standpoint um i thought it looked great and you know again just all those complaints from the last episode went right out the window and like from the opening minutes of this one i was like okay here we go we're right back in star wars again even seeing like the scrapyard that mayfeld was working in in the first episode or the the first uh scene um it kind of gave me vibes a little bit of like the beginning of jedi fallen order where uh cows on that planet where yeah. they're like cutting apart the old ships and everything and you see all these old totally all, all these old tie fighters and and stuff from the remnants of the galactic civil war so that was really cool i i have to say that this the whole look of this this episode was really well done it and which is the same we could say for almost every episode right like everything looks pretty amazing and uh, one of the, i think one of the minor and i say and I, i've said it before in the previous episodes but in one of the minor kind of aspects of the show that you could kind of nitpick is that everything's in a hallway and, and it shows and that, that part of that part of it is that the whole aesthetic of, of the TV show and you got to keep the budget down, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, all that being said, what I think is fascinating is that in this episode, it seemed more wide open. And I just loved how everything just looked really, really nice. And the planet was great. Like it's, it felt like they had a great utilization of sets with live, you know, with uh, probably location shooting, um, and also the volume, and it just was a great combo of everything. And I thought it just looked really, really good. Um, like in, in comparison to the, the 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 episode where they're at the at the, um, the planet, whatever, with Boba Fett comes back, it's really fascinating because when I when I think about how well the, or this episode looked compared to that. That seems like all, you know, obviously it's meant to be all in location. This episode seems like it's all over the place in, as far as set building, 
location, volume, et cetera, et cetera. And it was all blended beautifully. And as someone who, who works in film or in editing and things like that, Kyle, did that come across to you at all? Like that to me as like someone who knows anything about that stuff, just it seemed like it all was so seamless together. And I was really impressed by that. Yeah, well, that's the thing too. It, they do such good work on this show with the volume. Like it's hard for me to tell what's on location and what's a pr- like what's a practical set or what's a uh, you know just a digital set that they've built within the volume. Um, I'm sure some of this stuff might have been on location, but I also wouldn't be surprised if just a lot of it was was stages that they built within that. And that's why it did feel really jarring on the last episode because again with most of them even if they're outdoors on a planet or something it's like okay they could have shot this on on location but it also could just be in the volume i can't really tell and with the tragedy it was like no they definitely just like went outside and shot this um and you can tell not just from the terrain and everything but the lighting too it's just like harsh midday sunlight um and so yeah so i i loved that with this one it's like even if it was on location it felt more cinematic and less you know again not to be too nitpicky on the last one but you know we use that term of just it kind of felt like a fan film um again not just because of the location shooting but just that like the lighting and and all that kind of stuff so this Mm -hmm. one like definitely didn't feel like that whatsoever um i'd be interested to see like i can't wait to see the disney gallery stuff for this uh this season and see like I don't know how much they'll go into this episode specifically, but um, I'd love to find out like how how they did work this and how much of it was on location and all that kind of stuff. Because you know, like if this was a studio, they probably would be filming this on location and they'd have like a practical model of the the juggernaut tank that you know they'd be shooting with like um, like those camera cars that they use for like chase scenes and like action movies and stuff like that. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be surprised to find that they did most, if not all of this in the volume, cause they can just do some incredible things with that. Well, it, it, but it seemed like some, oh man, if, if that's, if the volume can create that lush of greenery and have it look that good, then, then sign me up for the volume all day, every day. But, but yeah, I, I gotta say that there was just, it, it felt very, it, was, it just felt more wide open than usual. And I really appreciated that after being a little bit claustrophobic a, a few times and here or there. And again, like we get that a little bit throughout the show and maybe the, the, as the volume and the technology keeps getting better and better and better. And I think we all could agree that as these, this series and this series develops the volume and everything, and they kind of figure out what they can do for cheap and all that stuff, they just, they make these shows better and better every year. It's like the Clone Wars back in the day. Like everything got better and better. What's nice is the fact that we're, they're just going to look better and better over time too, right? Just because they're getting better and better at making them. So mm-hmm. this episode just seemed like if they were, the, this episode wouldn't have been possible last year. And now they did it this year. And it just it looked great. Oh man, I, I, I honestly could go on and on about how good this episode is. Like, because it feels like everything was that was like firing on all cylinders. It just wasn't like again hype level, but everything was so good. Everything was was all like on a higher end level than we were used to for the Mandalorian uh, t- season as far as, as a whole. So yeah, I I love this how is how wide open everything was in this uh, this episode. Yeah, definitely. And again, like you said, it. it this wasn't one of the ones with like the biggest twists or turns or character cameos or whatever. Like the story itself is fairly simple and straightforward. The execution of it 
and and the way they tell that story is just what takes it to the next level and honestly for me makes it one of the best episodes of the season um and then of course you get this you know really fun action scene where you know they're driving this tank full of rhydonium uh and then these pirates come in and you know and attack them and you got uh mayfeld and mando driving it and Mayfeld's trying to keep it steady and like keep the heat levels on the Rhydonium down and, and Mando goes and climbs up to the top of it to take out these pirates. And he's wearing Stormtrooper armor or Tank Trooper armor, I should say, which it was really cool to see that design come back from Rogue One. Yeah. Because that's a really cool trooper armor design that, you know, we only see for like, I don't know, a minute, if that, in, in that movie. Because um, Rogue One's got so many different cool designs and you got like Shore Troopers and, and all that kind of stuff and Death Troopers, obviously. Um, Thank you, Kyle. So the tank troopers just didn't get much time to shine, but it was nice to see that design come back here. And so uh, they're the ones driving these transports. And so, uh, you know, Mando and Mayfeld um, take out a couple of guys and, and take those outfits. And it's cool, like as they're driving through this town and, uh, you know, they're having this like philosophical discussion where uh, Mayfeld is kind of challenging him on his beliefs and talking about, um, how, you know, oh, you're so devout to your Mandalorian beliefs, but, like, if you're born on Mandalore, you believe one thing, if you're born on Alderaan, you believe something else, and guess what? Like, none of them, neither of those planets exist anymore, and we're all just trying to get by, and he's like, you and me aren't so, uh, aren't so different, like, we both have our lines that we're not willing to cross until, like, things get messy, and we gotta do what we gotta do to survive, um, and obviously you see that kind of come into play uh, later on as they're they're trying to complete their mission and get these coordinates. But um, then, you know, Mayfeld says, he's like, hey, you know, everybody's got their own rules or, or they're, you know, everybody's just trying to survive. And the way I see it, like if you're alive at the end of the day and you can sleep at night, like you're doing you're you're doing more OK than most people or something like that. I probably just totally butchered that line, but it was a really great conversation. And uh, again, like you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting to get this depth of like character stuff from Mayfeld. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And I also like the comment he made to him about Finn taking off his helmet and swapping it for another helmet. Because like, so what's the rule here? Is it you can't show your face or is it that you can't take off your helmet? Because yeah. they're both two different things. And how Finn really didn't have an answer to that. And <laughs> just kind of throughout the drive they were on didn't really didn't say much until Mayfield said we're both the same, but you could just tell even without seeing his face there, that Din is kind of questioning <laughs> himself for what Mayfield was kind of calling him out on. It was like you said, just a great moment between these two characters that you wouldn't necessarily expect to have when we found out Mayfield was coming back. So it was just one of those cool new elements in the episode that you weren't expecting, but is part of what made it so good. And just a great lead up to what, I'm sure we're going to get to a little bit of really cool action sequence yeah. with those two characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm, I'll wait to talk about Mayfield when we get to the main part. Cause I, there's a lot to say here. So I'll just wait for that. But yeah, this whole action scene that we got coming up here is just ridiculousness at its best. If that, if that uh, is something that, and that's no negative. That's mm -hmm. not, that's not something that I say in a bad way. This is fun ridiculousness that I'll take this is star Wars to me. Like that is 100% star Wars to me. Yeah. That, that whole, this whole next action sequence. Yeah, no. And as I was starting to get to before I then like kind of backed it up and talked about the character stuff, like just, you know, Mando on top of the, 
the transport as it's driving and, you know, Mayfeld is fighting to, like, keep it steady and keep the Rhydonium from blowing up. And you got these pirates that are trying to blow up the Rhydonium and they're fighting Mando. And, you know, he shoots a couple of them and then, like, his stolen Imperial Blaster runs out of ammo. And so he just chucks that and has to go hand-to-hand with these pirates. Um, and just a really cool, really fun sequence. Um Again, you know, not as, like, mind-blowing as Bogotan shooting down a whole hallway full of stormtroopers or Ahsoka swinging her lightsabers and, you know, taking out guys in the forest, but just some really, like, fun, tight, well-choreographed action. Um, you know, I, I love the that one exchange where there's, like, two guys on opposite sides of Mando and, like, one of them goes to punch him and he ducks it and he punches his buddy instead. And then he's like catching his buddy to keep him from falling off. And then suddenly, you know, he's just having a fight where he's going like between three of these guys. It was just really fun and really well choreographed and just, you know, kept the, the speed and the, the momentum going as the whole time, you know, they're, they're on this, you know, the moving thing and, and the whole thing of Mayfeld trying to keep the, uh, the Rhydonium from exploding was just a fun, like added element of tension to it. Um, and of course yeah. seeing Din have to fight without his Mandalorian armor, like he's in the yep. Stormtrooper armor and like one of his shoulder pads immediately gets like shattered as somebody hits him with a stick. And so, you know, him having to adapt to that and just not being as sort of invincible as he usually is, was just a fun twist. Um, and of course he's knocking the guys off. He's throwing their thermal detonators back at him and blowing up their speeders. And then it ends with them getting back to the Imperial refinery and them being saved when a couple of TIE fighters swoop in and like shoot down the guys that are chasing them. And then a bunch of stormtroopers and shore troopers come out and, uh, shoot down all the rest of the pirates on foot and they're surprisingly accurate like are we sure these are stormtroopers and they're not like mandalorians wearing stormtrooper armor or something like that but um it was just a fun way to end it and a cool shift of perspective to see like oh like our heroes who are uh I mean, their whole objective is fighting the Empire and like, you know, they're doing this to get Grogu back. But, you know, his enemy's Moff Gideon and, you know, they they don't like the Empire. But to see the Empire saving them and then cheering for their return uh, was just, you know, a, a cool shift of perspective. Yeah, not only was that a highlight of the episode for me, but a highlight of the season of the series of The Mandalorian. You obviously heard me complain about <laughs> the portrayal of Imperial Troopers in this series, especially in episode four of season two, the siege, how I even said to tweet out seeing the scout troopers crash on their speeder bikes was one of the worst moments of the entire series. Well, this almost made up for that. This is one of the best moments in the entire series, seeing the empire actually do something successful for a change was so refreshing. And I couldn't tell you how cool it was hearing the sound of the tie fighters and just seeing them blast those pirates out Kind of seeing the Empire save the day is what you're not used to seeing, but it was on display right here, and I just loved it. And then when those troopers came out hitting their targets and not one of them getting hit either, mm. <laughs> I don't think we've ever seen that happen before in this series. So I was really geeking out on that. And just a great conclusion to what was an awesome action sequence like you described, Kyle. And one of my favorite aspects of it was seeing Din have to adapt fighting in just regular cheap stormtrooper mm-hmm. armor. <laughs> Kind of because yep. it's, it's like a reflex of him just to use that Beskar armor to block attacks. Mm-hmm. And when he did that this time, it didn't work. <laughs> and he just got hit a couple of times once he did that. And then having the blaster jam on him, which is something that he's probably not used to and keeping his blasters always well prepared for battle. So just all those little elements going into this battles that made it unique, different and just fun to see. But 
yeah, the cap off was just seeing the Empire save the day and just actually do their job. I love that shot, too, where after they'd shoot down all the pirates, you just see them fly by Cara Dune and Fennec Shan as they're just watching from the hilltop. It was just a great looking shot of seeing the TIE fighters fly across that scenery. Just everything about it was really cool. And yeah, I just couldn't be happier with the end of that action sequence. The Imperial fanboy with me was just like, finally, thank you. <laughs> this is all I asked. You, you threw me a bone here and I'll gladly take it. Seeing alien marauders like we had, just I love that stuff. That is like, you know, again, weak ways, the marauders from Battle for Endor. I just love alien like pirates like this, you know, trying to invade. And I just love that stuff. And what I also love is the fact that we get to see Din Djarin show off a little bit more of his uh, melee kind of hand to hand combat abilities. And I thought that was very, very, it was very cool to see him kind of in action that he doesn't necessarily need, you know, Mandalorian armor or this armor in general. He's, he's, a, he's a capable fighter in general. And it was just nice to kind of see a little bit of a different uh, kind of idea of the Mandalorian fight hand-to-hand combat, not rely on blasters. And just, again, it felt like character building, but not necessarily that was the point of it. But that's what it came across to me anyway, is that, oh, this is like character building for this whole thing, you know, at least for me. So was you're showing the, the audience that this guy is not just a, you know, obviously he'll be a good, we would assume he'd be a good hand-to-hand fighter, but we have to actually see that firsthand. So it was nice to see that. And again, uh, there was callbacks to traditional Star Wars storytelling with alien stuff as these pirates. You've got uh, the solo stuff with the radonium not overheating. Uh, again, the TIE fighters coming to save the day. It just felt like Star Wars Overdrive in the best way possible. Again, so much fun. I love, love this episode. Yeah, that was that whole sequence was great. Um, capped off by, you know, like we're saying, as he gets into the Imperial base and Mayfeld is like, yeah, I bet you'd never, uh, been so happy to see, happy to see stormtroopers, which is funny. Cause like, that was true for Mando and also true for us, the audience. It's like, I've never been, you know, so relieved to like have stormtroopers show up and, and rescue the main heroes. We've never seen that before. Um, but then of course that leads to the one scene from this episode that everybody's still talking about. Um, or at least was until a couple days ago when, when we had something else surpass it. But, you know, they get inside the base. They find the terminal that they're looking for where Mayfeld is going to go, like, download the data to uh, locate Gideon's cruiser. And uh, it's in, like, the officer's mess hall. And he goes in there and stops because there's a guy in there that he recognizes, like, Valen Hess, who's a, a former, um, like, superior officer of his. And uh, so he's like, no, I can't go in there. He might recognize me. And uh, Mando's like, okay, well, give me the data stick. I'll take it. I'll go do it. And he's like, well, in order to access the terminal, it's got to scan your face. Um, Which I just got to say real quick, you could nitpick this a little bit. It's like, because they they talked at the beginning of the episode, like Fennec's like, well, I can't go in there because, you know, I'm wanted by the New Republic. And Cara Dune's like, well, I'm wanted by the Empire because I'm a former rebel. And Boba Fett has this great line where he's like, let's just say they might recognize my face, which yeah. <laughs> at first I was just like, oh, yeah, because he's Boba Fett and he's worked with the Empire. And then I'm like, oh, but if they saw his face, it's like the same face as the clone troopers that they used to have and everything. So that was cool. But so it's like all these guys who are wanted by the Empire can't use the terminal. So I guess Din has to. But it's like you would think that they would have some sort of security where like the thing has to verify that you are Imperial and not just like, oh, as long as you're not a wanted criminal by the Empire, you can come in here and access our terminal. That 
doesn't really make sense if you if you think about it too hard. But it was still. Well, a, I, but but hold on, you could argue that because of how like how many people are coming in at this point, they can't just like they can't afford at this point just like keep you know putting only certain troopers because every trooper is going to have you know they're they're going to be able to put in every single person in existence that works for the empire in there unless there's some people they don't want to have in there if that makes any sense that's possible but but they've all got their own you know id and trooper designations and code cylinders and all that kind of stuff so you would think that they would have some kind of technology to verify that but that's a small nitpick because i think it works for the story obviously because you get to see how far din is willing to go to rescue Grogu and just how much it means to him. And after that discussion earlier with Mayfeld about the ideology and like, you know, is it that you can't remove your helmet or you can't show your face? Like, you know, what's, what's the line here and does it all really matter at the end of the day? And obviously, you know, his one rule is he can't take his helmet off in front of people and he's willing to, to cross that line uh, in order to save Grogu and get these coordinates. So he takes his helmet off and the terminal scans him and, uh, you know, so that was. I mean, I think we. You, I kind of had a feeling that would happen by the end of this episode because they even set that up at the beginning when they're trying to decide who's going to go with Mayfeld into the base, and uh, he's like, "Well, Mando, you can't come because like it's going to be hard for me to explain why I've got a guy in Mandalorian armor with me." And so you're kind of even thinking then, like, "Oh, is he going to take his armor off?" But that's when he just changes into the the tank trooper outfit, so he can still keep a helmet on, but. Um, I feel like that was already kind of a setup to tease that that might happen. And then here he just goes full faceless Pedro Pascal just to rescue the child. So that was cool. Yeah, without question. And I do like, though, too, how he was just going to give it a shot, though, leaving the helmet on just to see mm-hmm. if it maybe would get by <laughs> and it would scan with no issues. But it was given that countdown and error before it was going to reset the whole system. So we had to take it off and just barely in the nick of time. Uh, that he was able to get what he needed but of course it was cool seeing him take off his helmet again obviously we saw it in season one and this will i'll wait to save this till we get to the end of the rescue about uh din removing his helmet and just what how we've seen that a few times but um it's just great acting by pedro pascal here throughout this entire sequence just that he Barely had any dialogue. He said a few lines, but just his facial expressions and just how you could tell Din was just so uncomfortable mm-hmm. and in this situation. From pretty much never been in the situation for the good portion of his life. Obviously, since he was a, a kid and was a foundling by the Mandalorians, and just seeing people face to face with his face, not through a helmet, it just had to be kind of a surreal experience for him and just not knowing how to act interact with people and just seeing the confused look on his face sometimes like the scared look on his face sometimes and just how also too that led to a great dynamic with mayfield being there to help him get through this whole ordeal it was just something that was totally unexpected and it's just so ironic in a way that how hard din did or tried to show not show his face, I should say, and keep that helmet on whenever possible. It was it was pretty much the most important thing to him, living by that creed of the Mandalorian clan he was with, and how no one, no living being will ever see his face. And you would kind of think if that was to happen, and we were, I think a lot of fans were expecting to have Grogu see his face at some point, 
and to be the first. But the idea that it was Mayfield to be the first living being to see his face ever since he took the Mandalorian Creed and just how it's so unexpected and the least likely character to do that and to have it be Mayfield as the one who saw his face uh, for the first time, at least as far as character or people he knows, because obviously the Imperial officer saw it first. But as as someone who, you know, he's had interactions with in the past, that it is Mayfield, and, not and Grogu, the, not anyone else. And by the end of the episode, Mayfield is the only one still alive who's seen his face. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just a great moment all around and just so unexpected, again, that it was Mayfield, <laughs> not someone else that you would likely suspect right. to be the one to see his face for the first time. I've got more to talk about this whole thing later in the next episode. But I'll yeah I'll the second that it was it was really cool to see him without his helmet off in a in a very like particular uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, very um, uh, purposeful way right meaningful way and it's not just done for laughs or whatever it's actually a legitimate like oh man they really needed there's a reason for this and it's building towards something that I think that we'll get into later. But yeah, I, I do think, again, it was a really nice, meaningful way to take off the, oh, for, for us to see him take off his helmet and have a reason to take off his helmet. And that's something that they'll be, they're prepping the mainstream audience for this, for not just this season. I'll just say that. So continue on. Yeah, well, and then, of course, uh, so he successfully gets the coordinates to the cruiser, but then Valen Hess comes over and starts questioning him, and Din's not really sure, like, what to say or what to do, and so Mayfeld comes out, and he was obviously the one that was like, I can't be around this guy because he might recognize me, and so it was cool to see him just immediately jump into the fray to cover Din's back and be like, um, you know, because he knows the Imperial protocols and stuff, he immediately is able to just come up with a cover story and be like, oh, yeah, I'm Trooper XYZ, and this is my commander, and, you know, he's kind of hard of hearing ever since his vessel lost pressure at the Battle of Tanab, which was a cool little reference to throw in there. Um, and then, uh, so, and you got this guy, Valen Hess, who's, like, super creepy, super intimidating, um, and you're, like, not sure if he's going to call him on their bluff or if he's going to go along with it. Um, and he's like, Hey, you guys are the only two troopers that have been able to, you know, get the Rhydonium shipment through today. Um, and even then I'm thinking like, Oh, is he going to suspect that they're spies or something since they're better than all the stormtroopers?" And he's like, mm. come with me, let's go get a drink. Um, and so it's this moment where, you know, it's kind of like disarming, but it's like, you can't let your guard down around this guy. Like, what's he up to? Um, so they go and they drink and he's like, what should we toast to? And Mayfeld brings up Operation Cinder and uh, that's where he was under Hess's command and he, you know, wiped out an entire city full of civilians. They lost a bunch of their Imperial unit. And so Mayfeld is bringing up all this past stuff that obviously still bothers him and that he, you know, has, uh, you know, kind of on his conscience and he's talking about all these people that died and uh, Valen Hess is like, you know, and they're all heroes of the empire. And Mayfeld's like, yeah, well, would their families think that? Like, would, would the dead people think that? Would they be happy to be heroes? Like they're not here anymore. Um, and, and Din kind of gives him a very subtle, like head shake, like, no, don't get into this now. Like yeah. we just need to make it out of this alive. And I honestly, I don't know about you guys, the more this scene progressed, like I thought Mayfeld wasn't going to make it out of there alive. I thought he was gonna yeah, do. Same. I yeah. thought he was gonna do something stupid, and obviously this whole thing builds and builds and builds, and um, 
Valen says he's like with the Rhydonium that you guys uh, safely brought back to us, we're going to be able to cause havoc that's going to make Operation Cinder look like child's play. Um, and that makes Mayfeld really uncomfortable because he's like, oh, crap, like we've just helped out the Empire. Um, and then he's like, you know, gives this really good, creepy speech about, you know, people think they want freedom, but what they really want is order and they're going to welcome us back with open arms. And he raises a toast to the Empire and Mayfeld just raises his blaster and shoots him. Um, which you could kind of tell it was maybe building towards that. Like he looked really uncomfortable and like he was about to do something drastic. But I, I really thought in that moment, as soon as Mayfeld killed him, I was like, well, he's going to get executed. And Din is just going to have to like sit there and watch and not blow his cover so that he can get out with the information. Um, but instead, they just start shooting up everybody else in the place. Because the other thing, we had seen how many other stormtroopers were in there. I was like, there's no way they're shooting their way out of this, just the two of them. Um, but the fact that they just shot, like, the few other officers that were there in the mess hall, and then they escaped out the window as, like, more and more were slowly trickling through the door. I was like, oh, okay, that's how they're going to play it. Um, but it was cool, even as they're they're escaping, Mayfeld gives Din his helmet back. And he says, hey, you had, you did what you had to do. I never saw your face. And, uh, you know, it was really like a really cool moment. Um, you know, thinking just earlier, he was kind of mocking him for his beliefs about, you know, not being able to take the helmet off, but also, you know, pointing out that, hey, we're not that different. Like we both have our, our lines that we won't cross unless we absolutely have to. And this was a scene where uh, Din crossed his line because he ob absolutely had to. And then Mayfeld obviously had his own stuff that he was dealing with. And he's like, hey, look, you know, we both did what we had to do. Here's your helmet. Pretend I never saw you. Um, so it was a really cool, uh, you know, just nice bit of character from him where and again, especially you think back to last season where he was like mocking him like, oh, you know, is you saw a Gungan under that helmet? Um and was really kind of, you know, making fun of his old Mandalorian creed and all that. But also just, you know, from a guy in season one that we thought was just a, a hired gun, an assassin, somebody with no real moral code and showing here that uh, he definitely does have uh, his own sort of personal code that he sticks to just like Mando does. So um, just great scene overall. And the, just the tension in that dialogue with Valen Hess as he's talking about the Empire and everything. Um, and that build up to to Mayfeld just reaching out and shooting him was just great tension, great dialogue, like you know, probably best moment of this whole episode. There, there. This is probably probably the best acting throughout the whole series at this point, in my opinion. And there's been some solid. I mean, granted, it's been some solid acting, and, and there's been there's been some bad acting here and there from the season five first season or season five or episode five season one but that being said this was a phenomenal performance it was phenomenally written by rick Femiua, and not only was it i think bill maher uh who just oh bill or maher. Bill, yeah. bill bill burr excuse me bill burr uh <laughs> sorry too many bill too many comedians and comedy bill i mean bill uh bill burr but not the guy who played the the officer, aka Joe Chill, um, and uh, also <laughs> I uh, didn't realize that he was like two completely different characters. Obviously, he's an actor, but he didn't even look like how he did. No, yeah, it was yeah, that was that was crazy. Um, and also, obviously, um, Pedro Pas uh, Pascal. But all three of them all were playing their parts beautifully, and obviously, Bill Burr just was perfection. I thought of a performance and 
I, I gotta say that he, for someone who just did not like Star Wars before the Mandalorian was, you know, made fun of Star Wars people, he's really just to me. I loved him in the first episode he was in in, in season six, and this one was just a tour de force of not just of this scene, but the scene before where he's driving and you're using him to set up plot for, you know, helping kind of challenge the Mandalorian. And, and again, like you get to see kind of the cracks in, in Mayfield a little bit. And I got to say one of my favorite parts, and I don't know why I love this part so much, but when he like, he looks to, uh, I'm not sure what he grabs, but he grabs something and I think he grabs in the helmet and says, here, put it on. I never saw your face. Like he doesn't say it. It doesn't look at him a certain way like, yeah, don't worry. I got your back. It's mm-hmm. so, it's portrayed so beautifully by Bill Burr because you can tell he's bothered. And I love that. I love the fact well, that he doesn't even care. But but he but to me, he like doesn't even care. He saw his face like, yeah, here. I didn't even yeah, see yeah, face. Yeah. Like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, like, it, it didn't feel to me like he didn't care. It felt like respect. Like, obviously, he was looking yes. at him in that dialogue scene, but then, like, ne- once that's all resolved, it, like, he looks away as he's handing him the helmet. So he's not, like, looking him in the eyes. So he can't. So, you know, when he says, I never saw your face, he's not looking into his face because that would be kind of weird. It's like, yeah. obviously, I'm looking at you right now. So, <laughs> so for him to look away and hand him the helmet that's and go, true. here you yeah. go. You did what you had to do. I never saw your face. Yeah, it was a great moment. No, that, yeah, well said. And I think that to me, but I also feel like he's just is there. I, see, I read it completely differently because I read it as him just like he just was like, hey, let's just get, get out of here kind of a thing. And granted, like that probably, you know, subconsciously, I probably thought that too. But but honestly, I read it as a completely different thing. And I think that's that goes to show the, the beauty of the scene too, Raquel. I mean, like, it's like to me, there was. It really shows you that how Bill Burr really tapped into that character in that moment so well, and that he, you know, his emotion and his feelings were all over the, were all there on out, outside of him, which is something that he hadn't done before that we had we had seen. We had this rough exterior in the previous episode that he was in, and then this one, he still is keeping it up, right? He's still like, well, I don't want to work for the Empire. What do you, you know, I'm the death sentence and blah blah blah. This and on the way over, he's still acting like you know a little bit. He's a little bit more. A toned down version, but he's still kind of giving him crap, right? He's still kind of flipping him, you know, flipping a bunch of grief a little bit about his beliefs and trying to be a kind of a dickhead about it, to be quite honest. And then at this moment, he's totally it's it's out the window at this point. And I really like that kind of like gradual thing of seeing his character kind of go through those moments. And I gotta say that with all of this that we've gotten. I am praying that he's in the new Rangers of the New Republic series in some way. And, and granted, that this guy is kind of like uh, he's becoming a little bit more in demand. I would say. I mean, he had, he I think he was praised in that one Staten Island movie, whatever it was, King of Staten Island. That he, he's with that one actor I don't really comedian I don't really care about, whatever. Um, but he's in that movie and he got a lot of praise for that. And I'm hoping that like maybe he's in this new Rangers series, not just as a as a temporary guest star, but maybe as like a series regular of some sort. Because I just I just think the Mayfield character has has shown us now that he's just a great character, and you have someone like Bill Burr who just plays it off beautifully. He just you just connect with him immediately, and he's just charismatic. And I don't know, I really, 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 really hope that he plays a part in this new uh, series going forward. If not the Mandalorian, you know, give him. I hope he has more to do, and I hope he. I hope Bill Burr is open to doing that 
Um, you know, maybe if they shell enough money to him, who knows? But I really do think that his character is is a is valuable enough to where he should be in one of these series. I, I think the Rangers of the New Republic would be a perfect thing for him because think about how much he would know going up, up against these things in the empire, how mm-hmm. valuable he would be. And the great, I have to say, so I, I've seen people say this before, and I'm curious what you guys think. His chemistry with Cara Dune, I was like, whoa, like it's going, it was kind of, it was kind of off the charts. I, I mean, like, I wasn't like, they have to like, they're like an item, but I, I could see an instant chemistry between these two people, like instantly. I was like, man, like, like, yeah. when he, like I, I, I picked up on that and I really liked it. I'm like, man, this could be, if this was a, if they were in both in the Rangers series, you're talking like I think this would be a phenomenally entertaining show. Those two interacting, um, so at least in my opinion, it sounds like I'm not alone, Tim. No, yeah, the way they were taking jabs at each other <laughs> throughout yeah. the course of the episode, you know, it made for a good dynamic. And obviously, one being an ex Rebel trooper and the ex uh, Imperial trooper, so it just right, makes yeah. perfect sense for that. And I just got to completely agree with what you guys said. I mean, you said it all about how amazing that scene was. And uh, one of the highlights of the entire series, like you said, just from an acting and performance standpoint, it was just great by all three of them. And just to go a little little bit more to the Imperial side of things, I did like how it was Operation Cinder that was the event that truly affected Mayfield and caused him to feel the way he does about the Empire now. Because for those of us who knows went down in Operation Cinder, if you play Battlefront 2 or... It was, in my opinion, told much better in the Star Wars Shattered Empire comic. Um, Just how catastrophic that event was for the planets that were affected by it. Just how devastating that attack was on those planets. And so you know kind of what Mayfield was talking about for those who are familiar with Operation Cinder from the game or the comics. And it just makes perfect sense for them to use that as the thing that causes Mayfield's trauma or PSD. PST, if I can say it right, post-traumatic stress um, that he's having since that ordeal. And I just love that they not only threw it in there just kind of as a cool little Easter egg for hardcore fans, but it makes perfect sense in the story of how anyone who lived through that event is not going to come out of it the same way if you're even lucky enough to survive it. So as Mayfield was, but obviously it changed, it changed him forever. And you know exactly why it would do that for him. So it was really cool to have that be dropped in there. And this, the way that the Imperial officer mentioned order. Um, you know, it's not just put in there because it sounded cool, but it's leading you to believe as far as the early stages of the first order being born. And it just made me think about how we know the first order gets started in the unknown regions in secrecy. But if part of the plan was to, to have the few little bit that remains of the empire kind of in the outer rim or in the core worlds that were seen in the Mandalorian, how maybe not everyone, probably definitely not the troopers, know what's going on, but maybe those uh, such as high-ranking Imperial officers know what's going on in the unknown regions about the potential of the First Order rising. And that's maybe that officer knew the kind of the goal to what they're reaching and kind of the whole end game of everything to welcome the Empire back with open arms, um, knowing that that eventually will be the First Order. But it could go that route or it could just be they don't really know what they're doing. They're just, or I should say not knowing what they're doing, but don't know the full scale of the plan of the first order to come out of the ashes of the empire. They're just kind of currently thinking that they're going to bring the empire back, but yet they don't know that it's actually going to be something totally new with the first order. So it just made me think as far as what those 
remaining Imperial remnants, how much do they know about the First Order and the eventual end game for that power to rise? So I did like the little hints that we're getting throughout the season. And this won't be the last time we hear the word order mm-hmm. uh, mentioned by someone who's Imperial. Mm-hmm. So it just, yeah, I just I, like that I whole dynamic. These imperial well. remnants know something about it for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool tease as well. I mean, this one was a little more subtle, like the stuff that we saw back in the Siege episode and then the stuff that we'll talk about later in the finale, I think was a little more on the nose as far as like, oh, order, that kind of order. Whereas this, um, I mean, it was interesting because he almost sounded like he was just talking about the return of the Empire. You know, like, obviously we know that leads to the First Order, but this wasn't like order as in oh, the First Order specifically, but even, like, that's why, you know, like, a lot of people make that case, like, people that are on the Imperial side for, like, justifying their actions or, or, you know, why even be a part of the Empire in the first place. It's because they believe it provides order and security for the galaxy and that um, that's what people need, you know, in a, a time of chaos and stuff. So it's just cool to see that sort of side of his ideology. But then obviously this wasn't one of those moments where you're kind of like, Oh yeah, I guess I can kind of side with the bad guy here because he's obviously being so, uh, sort of sinister about it and talking about, you know, all those people that he killed and then, you know, Oh yeah, we're going to make that look like nothing. Um, so yeah, just, he was a, a great, like menacing villain for the, the one short scene that he was in. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool scene. And then, of course, they get out of there, make their way up to the rooftop, and you just got this cool action scene with uh, Kara and Fennec, and they're up nearby just sniping all these guys and clearing the way for Mando and Mayfeld to get up there and get rescued by Boba Fett, and they jump onto Slave 1 and make it out of there, and then Mayfeld grabs Boba's Tuscan cycler rifle, uh, aims at one of the Idonium canisters, and blows it up on the way out. And then, of course, that's when the TIE fighters come in, and he drops the seismic charge, and that was just a cool ending to the whole thing. Um, and then, of course, it ends with them uh, you know, parting ways with Mayfeld, and he's like, all right, you can take me back to prison now, because at the beginning, he was like, all right, I help you guys with this, and you let me go, right? And Kara just kind of laughs it off, and she's like, yeah, you get a better sentence, but we're not letting you go. Um, and then after seeing the lengths that he was willing to go to and how much he helped them, uh, you know, take out this whole Imperial base, cause that wasn't part of the plan. They were just going in there for the information, but, uh, for them to then take out the base and, you know, seeing him being so willing to fight against the empire that he was once part of, um, she was like, you know, Hey, yeah, it's a shame that, uh, the prisoner died in that explosion, isn't it? And they just let him go free. So I do think it would be cool to see. I, I think we'll see him again at some point, one way or another, whether it's part of that Rangers of the new Republic series, or we just see him make another appearance appearance in the Mandalorian at some point. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting that we'd ever see him again after season one. And I don't know if he just really enjoyed being part of Star Wars, or maybe he's friends with Rick Famuyiwa because he's been in, in two of his episodes so far. So maybe that's the connection and Rick just likes working with him. Um, but also, yeah, like we don't know what the Rangers of the New Republic is going to be about, but I would assume like until we're told otherwise, I'm I'm just going to operate under the assumption that Cara Dune is going to be part of that series. Um, at least, at least a connection to tie it to the Mandalorian, if not like the main character of that show. 
Um, but if that's the case, and if she's needing to get a team of people together or is looking to enlist, you know, rangers for the New Republic, I would think that Mayfeld would be one of the first people she'd go to now that he's kind of off on his own. He's a free agent. He's got no ties to anybody, and she's seen what he can do in battle and that he's obviously got no love for the Empire. So, um, yeah, I, I look forward to seeing him again whenever that is. Yeah, I agree. I think we didn't know it at the time when we saw this episode. It's about uh, Rangers of the New Republic. Um, at least, well, technically we did, but <laughs> it was just the day before. So um wasn't necessarily thinking about it just yet as far as Mayfield's role in the episode that followed after that announcement. Um, but I think it makes total sense that he would be part of that series. Maybe not as a regular. But I think it worked both ways, actually. He could maybe end up joining permanently with Cara Dune as a Ranger of the New Republic, or he could be someone who doesn't want to join any type of military officially again and kind of works as a a free agent, so to speak, where he picks and chooses where he wants to go. Um, But for certain missions, he will join up with Cara Dune to take down the Empire, or maybe he will have a change of heart and see things more her way and what the New Republic. And it could be something, too, where we know that the New Republic isn't paying much attention out there in the outer rim for what's going on, some of the Imperial activity there. And it's something, as we know already, that they're in denial of anything rising from the remnants of the Empire and these rumors about them growing, they just dismiss. So maybe it's going to be lacking as far as team members and fellow soldiers that are going to be part of this Ranger group. And it's kind of going to have to be if if Cara Dune is in charge, she only has a few options as far as who she could work with. And after this episode, I think Mayfield will probably be pretty high up on her list now for someone that she could work with and maybe not necessarily trust 100% just yet, but know she can count on him when she really needs to, as, as far as getting things done against the empire and maybe eventually build to where they can have that trust with each other. But yeah, I just think it makes perfect sense now where he'll show up in Rangers of the new Republic specifically, but, um, maybe somewhere else down the line too, but I think that's the more likely scenario where we're going to see Mayfield again. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, we'll see whenever we do see him again, but um, I just thought that was a great ending to the episode. Great episode overall. Like we said, just well executed from start to finish. Um, Oh, and then of course the, the final, final scene is, uh, you know, Mayfield walks away and Cara Dune's like, okay, so we got Gideon's coordinates, you know, what's our next move. And uh, then you see on Gideon's cruiser, you know, his officer comes up to him and is like, hey, you got to see this. And you see the uh, hologram of Mando, which at first I was kind of scared. I thought this was like they had recorded him at that terminal somehow. And this was going to be like a bad thing for Mando. But then, no, you realize like this is Mando sending Gideon a message and saying uh, he basically repeats the kind of speech that Gideon gives in season one, like as so great. as the scout troopers are like gunning down Quill and taking uh, Grogu, where he says, you know, you have something I want and soon it will be mine and it means more to me than you will ever know. Um, so just great way to throw it back at him and uh, let him know, hey, I'm coming for you and I'm getting the child back. So, yeah, that was, I like, love that. Yeah, just I mean, great way to end that and set it up for the finale. Yeah, talking about how this episode felt like its own thing rather than a main setup to the finale. But this last scene definitely was a huge setup <laughs> to the finale. And just like how Din, you know, is taking the fight to Gideon. And there's no if ands, or buts about it. He's getting the child back no matter what. And I just love that. And my favorite part about him repeating Gideon's line from season one 
is when Gideon describes the child as it means more to me than you will ever know. But Din refers to Grogu as he mean more, means more to me than you will ever know. Obviously showing that bond and connection and that father-son relationship that they have compared to how Gideon just views it as an object to gain more power from. And it is just a great contrast to how Gideon said it to how Din said it here. Just a great way to end the episode. It just got you super pumped for the finale. And you didn't realize it at the time. Obviously, we were excited for the finale. How can you not be after what was incredible season? And this last sequence with Din saying that, it just made you more excited. But boy, even as excited as we were leading into the finale, wasn't prepared for what we actually got when we saw the episode. So yeah, <laughs> now's the time to finally get into what was an incredible, mind-blowing finale all the way around. Yes. And, um, okay, we're, we're going to hold off talking about the last 15 minutes because I want oh, yeah, to jump right to that. <laughs> but there was some really cool stuff before all that, too. Just, I mean, kicking, oh, yes. kicking off the episode. So we're moving now into Chapter 16, The Rescue. Um, what the whole season's been building towards. They're going to get Grogu back. So it opens up with, again, Slave One uh, chasing this Imperial shuttle through you know, just through space, and you see that Dr. Pershing's on board with a couple of Imperial pilots. Uh, and like I said, it was just cool seeing Boba take him out with the ion cannon and say, Pre prepare to be boarded. Um, and Din goes on there with uh, Cara Dune, and um, immediately, like, one of the pilots basically takes Dr. Pershing hostage, and he's like, hey, you know, we're not letting you leave with this guy. He's a high-value target to the New Republic, like, and you're going to be in trouble if they find out that they lost him because of you. And the other pilot is like, no, 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 like, we can work something out. And the other guy immediately shoots him. And you're like, oh, shoot, this guy means business. Um, but then he gets into it with Cara Dune and is like, you know, just kind of provoking her and being like, oh, I, I see you're from Alderaan. Like, I was there. I was on the Death Star when it blew up. And he says, like, you know, destroying your planet was a small price to pay uh, for ridding the galaxy of terrorism. And she just shoots him uh, right past Dr. Pershing. And uh, just a cool, tense scene to open up the episode. Um, so before we get into all the other crazy stuff, anything you guys want to add just about that opening scene? No, I loved it as well. Just a great way to kick off the finale obviously just watching for the first time knowing it's going to be some really great knowing what we got from the first seven episodes of the season and again just kicking off with boba fett just again just loving that he's a part of this story now even if he doesn't play a huge role whenever we see him it just brings a smile on my face and hearing him talk like we said regarding the believer and that continued with the rescue and even more so in the, <laughs> what comes after this sequence but I did love that standoff with that Imperial pilot and Cara Dune. This actually might be one of my favorite moments that Cara Dune had. Hearing that guy just talk smack about Alderaan and then says he was on the Death Star, I loved her response where she just said, oh, which one? <laughs> just again, that jab flicking into the Imperial as far as having two Death Stars fail and be blown up. And just, mm -hmm. you could tell and then even that. His, even his rebuttal about like, oh, you think you're funny? Like millions of people died on those bases. And again, not that that, you know, justifies them blowing up planets with the Death Stars. Like clearly the Empire is in the wrong, but just seeing more of their perspective and like they've lost people too. I think this show has done a lot to like yeah. humanize the Empire. Yeah. And even some books like uh, Lost Stars, for example, that kind of showed you characters mm -hmm. in the Empire who were on the Death Star during a new hope and when it blew up just how the effect it had on them where they're not just 
mindless soldiers who are bad guys, but actual human characters who obviously an ordeal like that would affect losing so many people. So yeah, totally. That was just great too. But um, again, doesn't justify what they did to Alderaan. And you know, what he was saying about that was really eating at Kara there, but she wasn't showing kind of what probably he was hoping for. And she just took him out <laughs> as soon as uh, she had that moment or heard enough. And it just made for, I think, a great way to set up um, the episode as a whole, but in a different way to how it was something that obviously I had to get Dr. Pershing back, but in a way that standoff was nothing else kind of followed in the episode that was similar to that. I just liked how different it was. And this episode overall just had so many great mm -hmm. elements to it, but yet were so different, but made for one complete great episode and story that we got here. And it started with this standoff scene that we got right here. So yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a great way to kick off the episode. It was really nutty to have it start off with Slave One firing at a Lamba shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of surreal for me. I was kind of, you know, I, I was, because I had like seven, eight people, people that either I, I've talked to, you know, or my close friends like you guys and, and Justin, uh, you know, and just saying, hey, you know, text me when you're done, text me when you're done. And, and, and I had a, a other half, like eight, other four or five people text me who weren't. Uh, like people on Twitter or whatever be like, oh, have you seen it yet? I'm like, oh man, something must be really go down because everyone's texting me. This is okay. <laughs> now, no one spoiled it, thank God. So I, so sitting down and like knowing like how like everything is like, everyone's bubbling from this episode and I sit down and the first thing I see is Slave One firing in a Lambo shuttle. I'm like, this is so <laughs> weird. Like, and, and I mean that in the best way possible because I'm like, this is return... Like, <laughs> When in my lifetime did I ever think I'd see Slave One live action firing at a Lambo shuttle? It just—it never occurred to me that was ever a possibility. It's just, uh, it's just—it's crazy the the world we live in. I swear. Um. So, uh. So anyway, that was really cool to see, and it was really awesome to see the inside of the Lambo shuttle again. I'm like, oh man, it's it's a what, what? Oh my god! And then like the fact that get <laughs> I don't know it was, and this that shot of the Mandalorian. Um. And how he, like, after Kara, uh, Kara shoots him and she walks off and they have that close-up of his face and the blue lights coming off of it. It's like, oh, man. Oh, I just love that shot. Oh, it's so good. Um, so yeah, the whole opening scene is great. But, yeah, the whole Lamba shuttle thing was such a cool, like, touch and just, kind of, again, playing with the toys that you grew up with. And that's what it really feels like we get in the show. And that's not at all. A, a complaint or or a uh, like a you know a finger pointing moment at them like you are having too much fun with your toys young man and you know and that's what it feels like they're doing right now like they're just playing with the toys that they're given and they're just having so much fun with it and they're letting them do that instead of saying well we can't have we can't have slave one firing at some like you know lambda shuttle we gotta do something cooler or we gotta do something you know there's nothing there's nothing like that in this episode or in the series it's Let's just have fun with it, and we're we're firing at like Lamba shuttles, and we're you know we're we're blowing away Jawas or disintegrating Jawas <laughs> with a rifle from a holiday special. I mean, it's just this is how ridiculous it really is, and I just love that we we we've gotten all of that. So there's there's so much to to me that that I just comes across right off that right off the bat, and it's really nice and just reassuring that. 
this is a story that they they understand the world they're in. You know, it's not like it's not like you know what's we're we're thirty years away and let's just have X wings again and Tie Fighters and just just put a different paint job on them and then do a uh, slightly modified version of it. No, no, no. This is because it's so close. It just makes sense and everything feels appropriate. And I, I don't know. It just it just comes across a lot more genuine. And I'm not sure if it's just because I'm biased or whatever, but it just comes across really, like really well to me. And I, I love that we're, we're getting that. And it's, um, yeah, it, it was a great opening sequence for this episode. I got to say, but yeah, I, I love that Lamba shuttle uh, stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yep. And, and I totally agree with you that this show definitely just feels like it's Dave Filoni and John Favreau playing with star Wars toys in front of a camera. Like and putting it on Disney Plus for all of us to enjoy, and I love that. No, yeah, and one other little thing too, I think this is the first time where they actually referred to Doctor Pershing as a clone engineer or a clone mm-hmm. doctor. I think it was clone engineer that they said. But yeah, yeah, I think they obviously did say clone engineer. We saw the patch that he's been having on since season one, but to actually hear the word clone engineer, I was glad to hear that, and <laughs> made me hopeful that more clone cloning references would be on the way in the episode but not necessarily but i think this isn't the last time we're going to see dr pershing either yeah probably um yeah so from there you know we get the title the rescue and then we see uh slave one head to this new planet which i don't know if it's been confirmed what planet this is but it's just you know some random like barren looking planet with some factories and stuff and uh they find uh bo-katan and Cosca reeves there just sitting in a bar and I love, again, just this shot of like, uh, well, first of all, Slave One coming in for a landing next to uh, the Mandalorian like gauntlet ship from Clone Wars and Rebels. It was just really cool to see that in live action. But then just seeing uh, Din and Boba in their Mandalorian armor, like walking into this bar side by side, oh, they just look so cool <laughs> yeah. together. And then the conversation they have with Bo-Katan where, uh, you know, uh, you know, Mando goes and tells her, like, oh, we need your help. Uh, they've taken the child. And she kind of seems interested, like, they want to help. But she's like, you know, who's taking me? He says, Moff Gideon. And she's like, oh, you'll never find Moff Gideon. Um, but then he's like, no, like, we know where he is. We've got the coordinates to his ship. And you can have it for your assault on Mandalore uh, if, um, you know, if, if you help us out. And uh, I forget exactly how the whole exchange goes down. But you know, when, he, when he says, you know, use it for your quest to reclaim Mandalore, Boba Fett's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like Mandalore, the Empire turned that planet to glass. And he starts getting into it with Bo-Katan. She's like, you know, you're not even a real Mandalorian. Uh, she's like, you have no right to wear that armor. And he's like, you know, this armor belonged to my father. She goes, don't you mean your donor? Like, you're just a clone. And I've heard mm. your voice. He says, I've heard your voice thousands of times. And he goes, mine might be the last you hear. And then Casca just starts taking swings at him. And they have this like barroom brawl, Mandalorian style, where they're shooting their cords <laughs> at each other and flamethrowers. And she like grapples him and then uses her jet pack to like swing him around. It was just so freaking cool like you know when you see mandalorians just getting into a fight at a bar and they're using freaking jetpacks and flamethrowers but also just to see them arguing over that ideology and seeing you know these two i mean among star wars fans like legendary mandalorians like boba fett and bogatan mm-hmm. just seeing them go toe to toe um I also thought it was interesting, too, how we had talked about this on the last episode, how it sort of confirmed, like, okay, I guess Django and Boba are Mandalorians now, and that's the end of it. But when she says to Boba, she's like, you're not a Mandalorian, and he says, I never said I was. And so 
it's still a little murky. It's still kind of up in the air. It's almost like Boba's enough of a Mandalorian for Din to consider him one and like allow him to keep the armor because Jango was a foundling and he's like, you know, I, I inherited this armor from my father and all that. And Din's like, okay, cool. I respect you. Like you can keep the armor, but he's also like not really a part of Mandalorian culture. Like he is a bounty hunter off doing his own thing. And so again, for someone like Bo-Katan, who's born on Mandalore, and that's really like part of her identity. Like she doesn't see him as a Mandalorian and he's like, I don't care. Like, you know, so I don't know if they're going to, if that's going to continue to be sort of a point of contention for him going forward as to whether he is a Mandalorian or isn't. But I think it's almost a way of saying like they addressed it in the last episode, but then here saying like, it almost like doesn't really matter. Like it's Boba Fett. He's freaking cool. And whether he can sit like, whether he's part of the Mandalorian culture or he's born on Mandalore or whatever, like it, it doesn't really matter. If you want to think he's Mandalorian, you can make the argument that he is. If you want to say that he's not, you can make the argument that he isn't. It doesn't really matter to him one way or the other. So um, I don't know. Well, I just, can I, me, me, I, I have a, I have a little thing for this because what I, what I think is brilliant about this scene is you're setting up a lot with it because you initially set up the fact, set up the fact that Bo-Katan has a very specific definition of what makes a Mandalorian. And you can tell by the way that Boba responds and has talked to both to the Mandalorian and to Bo-Katan, he responds to them differently. He says, this, this armor was given, given to me by my, by my father. And she's like, well, you know, whatever. And he considers that like a part of his heritage and that makes him, you know, be able to, to take that armor. And, he, and it's, it's a big deal to him. Whereas they mm-hmm. say, well, you're not a real Mandalorian. Well, he's like, well, I never said I was. Like, meaning... That to me, it seems like he's had this conversation before and he is done with trying to, you know, try to put himself in something that he doesn't fit into a, you know, a square peg doesn't fit into a round hole. And that's essentially what the, the traditionalists like the Almec and the Bocatans, or Bocatans, if you will, uh, they're trying to basically say, and yes, by their definition, they're not born on Mandalore, or blah, 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 is they're not true quote unquote Mandalorians. But I think what the show has done a, a brilliant job of. And I think you see that with, with our own title character, the Mandalorian, is that what makes a Mandalorian? And that's what's been kind of this whole thing we're going through, because if you think about it, like that's kind of like what the overarching like kind of story is right now. You know, we have the quest was the main story and we get a, somewhat of a conclusion to that. We'll get into that later. But if you think about it, like the whole point of him going on this quest is because he honors what the armor says about being a Mandalorian. and What is a true Mandalorian? He meets Bo-Katan and he's, she's like, you're raising some crazy cult, buddy. Like, you know, <laughs> uh, it, whatever. And, and he, it, it, you're, you're seeing like the positives and the negatives of both ideologies of being Mandalorian. And you see the fact that Boba responds right away. And like, you know, he respects Boba Fett because he's, look, I was born, uh, my father was a foundling and this is his armor. So does that make him a, about, uh, excuse me, does that make him a Mandalorian? By definition, you could say that, yes, because he inherited this armor. But obviously, you have a traditionalist like Bo-Katan. She says no. So what you immediately have, like, these two factions, and I think it's also telling the very end of that conversation when they're firing those awesome fire flamethrowers at each other, guys, is what does she say? If we, if we, not if Mm. you or whatever, she says, if we would have shown this much, you know, uh, I forgot exactly what she said, but you know, this much, you know, gumption if against the empire, you know, we would have never lost Mandalore. Uh-huh. And she said it to both of them, not just one person. 
She says it to both of them. And I think that's very telling, knowing that, yes, Boba Fett is not maybe a traditional Mandalorian, just like how our Mandalorian is not a traditional Mandalorian because he was a foundling specifically and Boba Fett was a, was a child of a foundling that inherited that armor. It, he inherited the right way because he even said that. That's his, arm, that's his father's armor. And she tries to challenge that by saying, you are a donor or whatever. And again, you get into that whole idea of what makes you, what makes you a, a son or a father or, or whatever, right? It, again, these themes are there, and I love that. And that's what makes the show, I think, the underlying uh, aspects of the show so, so good. So uh, to me, he's still a Mandalorian, but you could tell that like, that's the whole point is that he's heard this before, and he's not affected. He's like, I never said it was. I am who I am. And that is this kind of Boba Fett's personality, right? Mm-hmm. No, totally. Yeah, I mean, everything about this scene was amazing. It was, I was going to think to myself, man, this is probably going to be the highlight of the episode for me. And we still got a long way to go. (laughs) Why it is definitely a highlight, it's not the highlight. But (laughs) it was just, again, one of those scenes that just makes this finale episode so great. And like I said, Kyle, even the entrance of just seeing Din and Boba walk into this cantina just with their amazing cool looking armor it's just god i was just geeking out so much already but then the dialogue that they said to each other and especially when we get into the whole aspect of boba being a mandalorian and the aspect that's that he's a clone and i just love how bo katan brought that up and yeah it was she was using it a way to mock him and uh when she said that though which how I just love that line where she said, I've heard your voice a thousand times. And immediately my brain, and I'm sure your guys too, just went back to Siege of Mandalore. And that battle that they had, and specifically her in uh, th- those episodes and in that battle, fighting alongside with the clone troopers and complimenting them in those episodes. But uh, eventually, probably now at this time realizing how that led to the downfall of Mandalore with uh, the Empire destroying it. I think she probably traces it all back to that moment with the Siege of Mandalore when uh, the Republic and the clone troopers got involved. So she's probably not a big fan of clone troopers anymore. And I think the fact that she knows Boba is a clone, I think that's the main problem she has with him as far as not recognizing as a true Mandalorian saying he's a disgrace to the armor. Just the fact that he is a clone because she doesn't seem to have a problem uh, when he mentions Jango as far as him being a Mandalorian. Uh, It's just the fact that Boba is a clone and not necessarily someone who maybe in her mind could ever be recognized as a Mandalorian. But like you guys said, the way Boba Fett reacts and just kind of at this point, how he just doesn't care, that doesn't matter to him anymore what matters to him is his legacy of his father Django Fett I because I just love in these episodes we've got of Boba just how often he says it was my father's armor and just how important that is because you see it in Attack of the Clones and if you read uh, some of the comics even the ones that are not canon anymore but just that father-son bond and relationship that Boba and Django had you just know how important Django was to Boba obviously he wanted to kill Mace Windu and set up this whole elaborate trap to kill him um, for the loss of his father. And I just love that. That's kind of the most important thing to Boba, that heritage of Jango Fett. And he's not going to take any crap that anyone gives to him, uh, mocking him about that, that Bo-Katan and Casca do, they do in this moment here. So, yeah, it was just great all the way around, recognizing 
the legacy and history that Boba Fett has and just referencing in my mind to the Siege of Mandalore when Bo-Katan says she recognizes his voice uh, or heard his voice a thousand times. Just all that dialogue was fantastic. And just the clone and Boba Fett fan in me was just loving everything about this moment and the discussion that these characters were having. It was amazing. I love, love this sequence. But obviously, it was just one amazing moment. And like, <laughs> like I said, when I was first watching it, I thought it was going to be the highlight. But Boy, the best was yet to come. But at this particular time when I was watching it for uh, on the first time I was seeing it, it was just, man, it's not getting any better than this, in my opinion, <laughs> just being uh, the big fan I am of these characters and the legacy that Boba Fett has um, with uh, the clones. So it was just amazing to get this interaction between these characters. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I got to say, too, Tamara Morrison's performance as Boba Fett this season, especially in this scene. It's just yeah. like like we always talk yeah. about how cool the voice is, but it's it's more than just that. And it was interesting, Tim, you brought up like those interviews that he did with StarWars.com after he came back. And he kind of talked about how like with Attack of the Clones, like he was really grateful to be a part of it and, and for the opportunity that George gave him. But he was just so like thrilled to be in Star Wars that he was just kind of like having fun with it the whole time. And after like now that he's older but also kind of like reflecting on the franchise and seeing how much the characters of Django and Boba Fett have meant to people over the years it so, it kind of seems like he's taking it more seriously this time and not that he didn't take it seriously before like he was just kind of like phoning in his performance or anything like that um but like i think he it, it does seem to me like he's bringing a new level of intensity to it um, which I love seeing here and I think is going to suit him perfectly in uh, wherever we see the character next, which we'll talk about at the end of this. But um, yeah, I definitely think the way he's portraying Boba Fett right now, like he definitely just has sort of like the the presence and the gravitas needed to, that like he could carry his own story if he had to. So I'm just loving what he's bringing to this. Um but of course, eventually, like you said, uh, you know, Bo-Katan kind of splits them up and ends the fight. And she's like, all right, we'll help you as long as, you know, she basically has two conditions. She's like, one, I want the ship. Two, Moff Gideon's got the Darksaber, which I need to rule Mandalore. So whatever happens, like, make sure that I get that. And he's like, or, you know, make sure that, that Gideon surrenders to me. And, and Din's like, yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. Like, I'm just going to get the child back. You can have whatever you want. Um and so, you know, they all leave. They're on the ship, you know, on, on Slave One with uh, Dr. Pershing and um, Cara Dune and Fennec. And, you know, they got the whole band together. They're getting ready to go rescue Grogu. And they basically are just coming up with the plan. Like, they're going to go in and infiltrate. And, uh, you know, Bo-Katan's going to lead this whole fire team. And they're just going to distract the Imperials. And Din's going to go get Grogu. But Pershing warns them about the Dark Troopers. And uh, he's like, yeah, I don't think the ship is as unguarded as you think it is because he's got this whole platoon of dark troopers that are you know they're droids they're kept in storage like because they got to take time to power up and everything and so uh din's gonna go and try to like seal off the the bay uh before the dark troopers can power up on his way to go rescue grogu um and again you know bogatan reinforces moff gideon's mine i want the dark saber they're like okay yeah sure cool let's go um and so then they split up into the two different ships and everybody's on uh, on 
uh, Dr. Pershing's like Imperial shuttle and then Boba's pursuing them in Slave One. And then they, and this is kind of a, a cool scene to be able to sort of fool the Imperials into thinking that they're on their side. Like they jump out of hyperspace and then Boba immediately starts shooting at the shuttle. Um, and I like I love even just the the sort of build up they had to that moment where they're going over the plan and they're in their separate ships and like you see the two of them back to back like going through like the hyperspace tunnel or whatever. Yeah, it's so cool. And uh and then they're communicating and Bogatan's like going over the plan. She's like, Hey, you know, make sure you look and gotta make it look convincing and like get out of there. And Boba Fett kind of dismissively is like, Yeah, don't worry about me, princess. I'll do my job. Like make sure you've got those shields up. Um, but then uh you know, or she says something about like, yeah, but you know, make sure you get out of there and, and watch out for the surface cannons. And he's like, don't worry about me. Like you guys just be careful in there. And so they go from kind of having like a little bit of a banter or a little bit of a tense exchange to being like, okay, but like we're on the same team. Like you guys watch your backs in there. Um, so again, I like seeing this new side of Boba Fett. We're obviously like, he's still, uh, you know, somebody you don't want to mess with and he's still kind of got his own pride and ego and, and is not going to let anybody cross him, but he also is willing to be a bit more of a team player and has a, a bit more of a code of honor uh, than we're used to seeing from him, or at least than you would have expected from him just seeing him kind of as a bad guy in The Empire Strikes Back. So um, this cool moment there. And then, of course, you know, they come out of hyperspace. He's chasing the ship. He's firing at him. And you get this really cool shot of like, you know, they're requesting clearance to land on Moff Gideon's cruiser. They're like, hey, we're under attack. You know, we need to make an, an emergency landing. But they start trying to launch TIE fighters to go intercept Slave 1. And you get this shot that looks straight out of something from like Star Tours or Galaxy's Edge or something where you're like inside an Imperial cockpit of the TIE yeah. fighter as it's taken off through this launch tube. Um, and just seeing like the inside of the uh, of the cruiser rushing by as this TIE fighter is taken off was just such a cool shot. Um but then just a cool little dogfight sequence here as uh, as the TIE fighters are coming after Slave 1. The shuttle comes in, makes a crash landing in the hangar bay, and then, uh, you know, Boba makes his escape. Flips the guns around on Slave 1 and fires behind him to take out the TIE fighters on his tail. And I'm like, man, the whole time I've been playing Slave 1 in Battlefront, like, nobody told me you could, you know, turn <laughs> the guns around and take out guys behind you. That would have been helpful. But, um, yeah. Just Gotta a, be an update they put in there now. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? But uh, yeah, this is just a you know a cool little action scene. A lot of this stuff from this point on is is just um, action and you know them taking out stormtroopers and stuff. But uh, this was just kind of a cool setup and like phase one to their plan. I just love getting these different looks of things we've seen tons of times in Star Wars, but in different perspectives. And you brought it up the way the Tie Fighters were launching out of the Imperial cruiser. It just looks so cool getting that perspective of seeing. This the TIE fighter is moving down the line and is zipping across the launch bay and flying out to try to intercept Slave 1. It just looked really cool visually and just got us um, a new point of view to how the TIE fighters launch out and prepare for battle. And it is really great to see. And then them kind of uh, squirming to stop the next TIE fighter from launching where it decided to abruptly <laughs> shut down and just stop from launching out. I just love seeing that whole process of the Imperial TIE fighters kind of scrambling and getting ready to launch and prepare for battle that we really haven't seen before in live action and it looked great and just seeing the shuttle make its narrow entryway into uh, the launch bay there it was just a really cool sequence as far as getting our protagonist onto the imperial shuttle so again something that obviously is not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things but i did appreciate getting this new and different look to see how these tie fighters launch and prepare for an attack whenever they're all 
they are called into action. I the whole launch thing was really unexpected and so just I loved it, man. That was that was freaking awesome. And I, I gotta tell you, I was really surprised they showed us that. And I, but I was surprised in a way, I'm like, oh yeah, like we haven't really seen that before. Duh. And it was so cool seeing that. I, I gotta say that was a just another kind of cherry on top of what we got. So it was a it was a really cool sequence um, of seeing that together. And like you said, Kyle, this is very much like just the action of the episode we're, we're getting into. And it was just a, one of the things that I, you know, talking about how we're leading into this, because I think you guys already kind of said what I wanted to say about it as far as, you know, anything new. Um, you know, one of the things going into this whole thing when they crash land into the spaceship or in spaceship, and it is, it is a, you know, whatever that is, cruiser, star destroyer, whatever you want to call it. Um, I know it's not a star destroyer, but, um, but anyway, the whole thing that I kind of noticed the second time through, which is really cool for me, was the fact that like all like all the people, the whole party was all were all women, mm-hmm. and yeah. like and, and it, it, now, and I say that only because you know it's it was just really interesting to see like oh man like I didn't even like notice it the first time, and the second time I'm like oh yeah like they're all women, and as someone who now has a daughter. It, and I got to tell you, man, that was really cool to see. I'm like, dude, like this is like, and again, I didn't even like, think about it. Like, oh yeah, I didn't notice it's all women or whatever. Cause yeah. Cause you're just thinking, man, these are just great characters <laughs> doing yes. awesome active sequences. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 I, and the, reason, the reason I bring it up at all is only because of just, you know, there's a little bit of like, well, it's forced or this is all forced or whatever. And, and I, I just, I never once thought that. And, you know, as far as these characters that they're giving us and, they're all are great characters. And I just, it was really cool to see. And I did, and it was really cool to have that moment where I'm like, man, I didn't even like one think about it. And how cool is it? Like when I show my daughter, this, she'll see like four women just blowing the way all these like stormtroopers and things like that. And how rad that, that will look. And just how, just again, how far I think things have come and how rad that is. It's starting to become more normal and how like, how rad they are. And they're some of the best character stars has produced in years, you know, as some of them. So just a really cool moment to kind of have that as I think as a franchise, just seeing how it has developed in, in such a great positive way. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, I, I think that was a really cool thing that was like not forced, like they didn't draw attention to it. Um, but just, yeah, just having those characters there in their element, um, and like you said, it's not even something that you maybe noticed the first time, but then when you, you know, you're just watching Cara Dune and Bo-Katan and Fennec Shand and Cosca Reeves just going through the starter, or the, the, now I'm going to call it a starter short, the cruiser just mowing down stormtroopers. Um, it was just a great action scene. And then, yeah, when you realize like, oh, these are all like a bunch of cool female characters and they didn't make it like, oh, this is the big, like the ladies team up kind of moment, like in, uh, Endgame, which I know not everybody loved, but, um, this just, you know, it felt natural. It felt like a great part of the story. And it's like, oh, yeah, these are the characters that are there. It totally makes sense that um, that this is just the team and the mission that they're on. But it was uh, just a really cool, you know, well-executed thing. And, um, I mean, all the action was great, you know, because so they crash land the shuttle in there. They all get out and they're uh, just running through blasting stormtroopers. I love the part where they're, like, on that bridge over the – I don't know if it's a hangar bay or whatever, like that, that sort of um, – the energy 
door or whatever that like leads out into space below them. Um, but they're like on a bridge over it and a bunch of stormtroopers show up and immediately Bo-Katan and Casca like dive down below it with their jetpacks and leave Kara yeah. and Fennec to just like take out the stormtroopers. And so then a whole nother squad comes up behind them and they fly back up on their jetpacks and just flank them from the sides and take them out. Um, yeah, that was great. There was always little touches of cool stuff like that throughout the course of this action sequence of them making their way throughout the cruiser because there's that one moment too at the beginning where Bo-Katan wraps a stormtrooper up with their cable and then Costco just flies in and just kicks them off it's just little team up beats like that where everyone's tag teaming and working together to take out these troopers was you know choreographed really well it's made for an intense action sequence that you know is going to build up and build up to uh, the eventual big action sequence that uh, we get later on towards the end of this episode um, but yeah just a great dynamic and just choreographed and action that like you said before paul where things where we had shootouts before in the series obviously but it kind of felt in smaller hallways in certain instances but not this one there is like big open spaces on this cruiser and different areas where it felt really big for a shootout that um a finale of a season would deserve and this one delivered on that aspect of it when you're talking about shootouts uh with these with stormtroopers and with our protagonist characters here so yeah it was just really cool how it was done making it different and have it feel epic as far as um an action sequence in towards the beginning of an episode would be because you know they're going to save the big stuff for the end but the fact we're getting some this cool and different at the beginning just makes you excited for what was to come in this episode even though we didn't know exactly what that was just yet well, one of us did. <laughs> um, no, but yeah, so this was, you know, just a, a cool, um, like I said, just a bunch of cool action throughout this episode. Of course, as you didn't know for sure, you guessed. Don't even try to act like you were, you were 100% sure. I guessed right. That's all I'm saying. No, you, I, defi- I definitely right. was yeah. not 100% sure. Um but uh, no, so, you know, as they're going through blasting all the stormtroopers and stuff, then Din sneaks out. He's going through, um, you know, encounters a couple stormtroopers, but he's like sticking to the shadows and like not trying to get in big shootouts and everything. The whole time, by the way, Moff Gideon is kind of like monitoring from this, monitoring all this from the bridge. And, you know, he's going to be up to something um, and wondering like, OK, what's his play? And, uh, you know, it. it like, you know, they're not just going to get away with this and it's all going to go off without a hitch, um, which I will say was one thing that I was I wouldn't say disappointed by, but like I was kind of hoping to see a bit more. um, I don't know, a, a bit more sort of craftiness from Moff Gideon and all this, like I felt like everything up until sort of the end of their their big plan like at least the like the the majority of it felt like it kind of went off a little too easily like without a hitch and i know obviously so so din gets to like grogu's cell and moff gideon's there with the dark saber and he's holding it over him um but i would have hoped that like somewhere along the way that like bogatan and all that group like would have run into some more trouble like they think it's going pretty well their plans going off and then I don't know, maybe they would have run into some dark troopers or Moff Gideon would have done something to, something to, to throw a wrench in their plans. Uh, but I think he kind of does that, but in a different way, because everything that they did, he expected to happen. And I think his big trump card, if you will, would be to cause that conflict between Din and Bo-Katan and the yeah. Darksaber. So in a way, maybe that's not something quite we were expecting to play out as far as him causing more trouble for 
our heroes to get access to the bridge and just accomplish their mission. But he might have thought that would have been inevitable. And this was his way to kind of throw a wrench in their plans is to cause this rift between Bo-Katan and Din and just causing um, probably half of his characters to go up against each other. I definitely think like he obviously planned that, like he obviously had that in mind as a possibility. I just don't think that would have been his end game because that still ends with him being captured and losing the Darksaber. So that's why, like, I like that he resorted to that and that when it seemed like he was defeated, he still had a trick up his sleeve. I just wish he would have made it harder for them to get to that point. Yeah, there was there was someone I will say about him in this episode that felt a little bit off from what I expected from him in general. And it was kind of interesting because he definitely seemed like he wasn't as in control as he always seemed like it. And how I think honestly, the biggest thing I, I was a little expected from him, he didn't put up as much of a fight as far as to, to, to the Mandalorian than I expected. And it felt like it all, it almost felt like the character. And again, I think this is purposeful is that he kind of knew that and he knew he had, he's going to have to get out of this kind of like classic, uh, you know, more like Lex Luthor, less like a Destro character, if you will, Tim, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a thing. Like it's it's more his mind that he's right, going to be using, right. and, and and that to me was obvious. But I will say, it's a little disappointing because he seems so savage. Otherwise, like all these people are so afraid of him, and you know he's you know he's Moth Gideon, right? I mean, he's a moth. So I expected him to have a little bit better hand to hand combat. Now, granted, he obviously had a little bit better hand-to-hand combat. I mean, or he has a little bit, he held up his own a little bit against the Mandalorian, but it didn't seem that deadly. And it definitely seemed like he knew that going into it. That's why he had the dark saber up against Grogu at that point. So it was a very, just kind of, I don't, it's, it just, he came across a little, he came across a little clunky. basically is what I'm trying to say. This whole episode. Yeah. Like his, his motivation seemed a little off. Like you weren't really sure what he was getting at. Cause even, and, and there definitely were times where like he had me on edge, like, and I thought, man, this guy is sinister and like, you can't trust him. I guess I will say, I think a big part of it, like he was counting on the dark troopers you know, like as soon as they land on the ship and they start shooting people and he says activate the dark troopers, he was expecting that to be to play a big role. Um, and obviously Din is able to get in there and he has to fight one of them, but he's able to like dump the rest of them out into space. And so maybe that was Gideon's big trump card um, that would have been, you know, his way of stopping Kara and Bo-Katan and everybody from getting to the bridge and all that. Um but then, like, so when when uh, Din gets to the cell and he's there with Grogu and he's got the lightsaber over him, and then, you know, Din's trying to talk it out with him. He's like, you know, hey, I know Bo-Katan's after the saber. Like, I honestly don't care. You can keep it. I'm just here for the kid. Like, let me take him and you can have whatever you want. And Moff Gideon turns off the saber And he's like, okay, yeah, I see the bond between the two of you. Like, you can have him and I'll just, you know, just as long as you leave my ship. And I'm like, no. Like, I know he's maybe not being as, like, this whole episode, he hasn't been quite as formidable as we expected. But I'm like, here in this moment, you you can't trust him. Like, he's obviously not just going to let you take the kid and go. I was, and, and like, part of me, just the logical part of my brain is like, there's absolutely no way 
that the child is not making out, making it out of this okay. Like Moff Gideon's not going to kill the child, but at the same time, I don't know, maybe the part of me that's used to watching Game of Thrones and having these like backstabbing villains that do stuff that you don't expect. And I think it was also the way that he had like deactivated the dark saber, but he kind of still had the handle like pointed at Grogu. I was like on the edge of my seat. Like I don't trust whatever he's about to do. Um, and of course, as soon as Din gets to Grogu, then Gideon like ignites the dark saber and, and starts attacking him. But even that to me felt a little weird because he had just told him like as soon as Din enters the cell, Moff Gideon mentions him working with Bogatan, and he's like, "Yes, I know you're working with Bogatan. Assume I know everything. Just like I know that your wrist launcher has fired its only salvo, so like you can't use that against me." And, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then, and then a minute later, he activates a lightsaber and starts attacking a guy fully armored in Beskar, which won't cut through. So it's like, well, didn't you know that? Like, so what are you trying to do? Like, obviously, they were going to have to come to blows at some point. Din's got the Beskar spear that he's going to be able to fight the dark saber with. So like, we expected them to have a fight. But for Moff Gideon to be all sneaky and like get Din to let his guard down and then waste his shot to kill him by just like whacking on his Beskar armor with the Darksaber, I kind of expected a little bit more. And I mean, sure, maybe he could have like slid it between the Beskar plates and like stabbed him in some place that was vulnerable and that would have just killed him. And obviously like you can't just have him kill him off, but I wish they had worked that, uh, you know, maybe he could have wounded him or something rather than just like hacking at the armored parts of him that the, the Darksaber wasn't going to do anything against because he went from, I know everything to, oh, well, I didn't know that wasn't going to kill you. You know, like I, I just wasn't sure what he was exactly trying to do right there. Well, and I think that's the kind of the point, though, I, I was making is that it, I thought he'd be a lot more formidable. Yeah. And again, I, I think that's kind of the point. He's not that character. I think maybe that's the point of this. That's the point of this episode is that to set him up for the next couple seasons that, you know, no, he's not a he's not a character you have to worry about hand to hand combat. It's what he knows. It's his mind that is the problem. And well, but again, it wasn't just the physical, like him being a formidable opponent, though. It was the the knowing that he was hacking. Yeah, he was. Yeah, it's like if you know that, then why are you trying to do it? Right. No. Or do you think? Go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, do you think he is even like two steps ahead, where he's going to let Din believe to walk out Mm. with Grogu? Yeah, but. In the end, he knows the dark troopers have been launched out of space, but yet he probably knows they're going to make their way back. And to cause an attack on Din, not knowing to kill him, but he really wants to cause that rift between him and Bo-Katan. They have that I, I think you're right. To he extent, lets himself yeah. lose, knowing that, yeah, he's captured right now, but the dark troopers are going to return, and they're not going to stand a chance. And even makes the points to say when the dark troopers are trying to get in the bridge that the only one they're going to survive are me and the child. And so kind of hinting that even though he's saying he's going to allow Din to take him here and he has what he needs, which is his blood, he still was not done with him yet and still wants to keep him around. And knowing that the only two that can survive against the death or death troopers, I wish death troopers were there too, but <laughs> dark troopers, an attack from them would just be those two. And maybe that's his way of thinking two steps ahead maybe losing this battle right here but in the end it's all part of this plan in his way to make an escape with the child and at worst cause this friction between din and his allies which are now bo-katan but at best them all be wiped out by the dark troopers 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, again, I can... Like, obviously, he had plans to sort of mastermind that moment and turn Din and Bo-Katan against each other. But I also don't think that, like, from the moment they landed on the ship, that that was his endgame. Um, That's fair, yeah. Because he, it just feels like he could have done more to even, like, try to prevent that from from getting to that place and getting to that point in the first place. Maybe he did know that the dark troopers were going to gonna come back. Obviously, you know, they they have no human inside, so they can survive in space. Um, I don't know. I will say I actually did really enjoy though, the fight between, uh, between Din and Moff Gideon. I wish Thank it was you. a little longer. It, it felt a little too short. And again, was just one of those things where once Din beat him, I was like, man, everything in this episode is coming off as like a little too easy so far. Um, I just wish that the fight had been a little bit longer, that Din had maybe had a little bit of a tougher time beating him. But like you were saying, Paul, like maybe the whole point is that that's not uh, the that's not why Moff Gideon is a threat. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But also, like, Din's not a Jedi. So going up against somebody who also, you know, just has some training with a weapon, like, it would make sense that he sure. would, you know, have a, a just somewhat of a match there. But... Um, yeah. I don't know. As just, brief as that fight was, I thought it was cool. Just seeing the dark saber in in action, um, in live action was really cool. I mean, obviously we'd just seen him ignite it before, but um, seeing it in action in a fight was cool. And I mean, Moff Gideon was going hard, man. Like I can see yeah. now why Giancarlo Esposito in those interviews said he broke like three of the prop ones while they were filming. <laughs> I guess because of that, it made me think that he was going to get more action with the dark saber this season. Mm, that he had maybe broken that he yeah. had broken them at different points. But it's like, no, I can see how in this one fight scene he would have maybe broken a couple props, just you know, whacking them too hard against the spear or the wall or uh, Din's armor or whatever. So. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. I love that one move where like Din, like he blocks the saber with the spear and then he like kicks Moff Gideon and yeah. then he kicks the back of the spear and it flips up and goes to like amazing. block his attack high. That was, <laughs> you know, just, so just some, some really cool bits of choreography there. Um, and then of course, when he takes him down, he's like, oh, you're letting me live. This should be interesting. And that sets up that whole conflict that he tries to manipulate next. I love that fight sequence. And yeah, it would have been cool if it was longer, but I just thought it was choreographed really well. The way Din was using the Beskar spear and going against the Darksaber, it was just awesome. And you just mentioned the highlight of that fight, the way he kick blocked that spear <laughs> into an attack. I was just like, wow, that is awesome. A lightsaber duel that's not a full-blown lightsaber duel, but it's still one that, again, going back to that, idea of the show doing stuff that is familiar but yet unique in its own way a different type of lightsaber duel that we haven't seen before against this beskar spear which is really really cool to see and we kind of glossed over it but i want to go back to another cool action sequence was din's fight against that one dark trooper that was a brutal fight mm-hmm. <laughs> for din the way he was just getting pounded in the helmet by that dark trooper was like oh man is this helmet gonna get destroyed here and is that going to be kind of the reason why he's going to have to reveal his face to everyone? But didn't get too badly damaged. It had a dent, but nothing where it was useless and he had to remove it. But that was just another cool action sequence. And I just loved how that Dark Trooper uh, fought and the way it moved. It kind of felt a little awkward the way it moved. But again, I think that's what makes it cool. It really had a Terminator vibe to me. Even like the first movie, the first Terminator movie where Mm -hmm. the effects weren't as great as the later movies would be. And they kind of had like a jerky, awkward motion to uh, the robot 
in that film. I kind of had the same vibe or same vibe with the Dark Trooper here. But I think it worked really well uh, to how it just made it seem like a very formidable opponent. And there's just one great shot that I love where he has Din by the neck and he's trying to escape and he ignites his flamethrower and just starts lighting up his body to escape. But there's that one shot where the Dark Trooper is kind of looking down and then looks up and it's just surrounded by the flames. That just looks really cool. I mean, Dark Troopers have nothing on Death Troopers, but in this particular instance, that shot, I loved it. It was just a great, cool visual look. And yeah, but when Din launched all the other Dark Troopers out into space, I was like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. That's it? <laughs> all this buildup for the Dark Troopers? Where he's only gonna get a fight with one? <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's kind of disappointing. But obviously that was a fear that was uh, not warranted <laughs> because they yeah. do come back. Well, and it was interesting because like, on the one hand, I kind of had a feeling in the back of my mind like that might not be the last we see of them because obviously they're robots. And so like it's not like a human who's instantly going to die in space because they need oxygen. So I was like, OK, they could come back. But also like we've seen how hard it was for him to just take down one of them. So I don't know if they're going to have a chance against all those guys if they actually had to fight him. So maybe that's how they do get rid of him. I don't know. Yeah, because one of my. Uh, things I was wishing to see in the finale was just a big shootout uh, between our protagonists with Boba Fett in that group taking down dark troopers. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I was expecting. Seeing Boba, Cara Dune, Bo-Katan, and Fennec Shan, Koska, just going up against dark troopers and just having this crazy shootout and action sequence like we've never seen before with these dark troopers. And it was just going to be a really tough and brutal fight for them to win, but somehow they would overcome it. Um, so once that happened and they all got sucked out, like, oh, I guess that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. the- and I kind of expected we would get something like that, too. But then again, seeing seeing how hard it was for Din to take down one and seeing that his blaster didn't do anything against it. I was like, oh, well, I guess we're not getting a shootout because the Dark Troopers would win that. Yeah. It, like I said, it would have been a hard fought battle, but maybe, there would have been some way maybe they could have taken him out. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was some way they could have taken him out. All right. Um, <laughs> for sure. But yeah, so then, of course, Din defeats Moff Gideon. He takes him back to the bridge. And uh, this is where he starts pitting him against Bogatan, where Din walks in with the Darksaber and Bogatan's like, wait, what happened? And he's like, well, I defeated him. You know, he surrendered. And uh, but Moff Gideon's like, no, 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 that's not what she's talking about. Like, you have the Darksaber. Now you defeated me. It belongs to you. And Din's like, well, here, now it belongs to her and tries to just hand it to her. And uh, he's like, no, it doesn't work that way. And basically explains the whole thing with the Darksaber about how you have to defeat another Mandalorian in combat um, to uh, to rightfully have claim to the sword. Which was interesting because Bo-Katan, obviously, like the last time we saw her with it, uh, Sabine had won it from uh, Gar Saxon and then just gave it to Bo-Katan. So that kind of doesn't seem to line up. And I've seen people kind of making fun of it online being like, or at least just sort of pointing out the the hypocrisy, I guess you could say, of Bo-Katan sort of mocking Din for being in a cult of like, you know, she's like, oh, your your guys are like a cult of religious zealots who won't take their helmets off. And then she won't accept this sword because she didn't defeat him in combat. And like, so she has her things that she has to do a certain way. But my theory on that, that I'm sure we'll probably get more explanation of as we get more into the story with Bo-Katan and Mandalore and the Darksaber and all that. I think maybe she sees it as like the way that she got the Darksaber from Sabine the first time around is maybe part of the reason why they lost Mandalore to the Empire and why 
things didn't go mm. the way they wanted. Um, maybe we'll even find out that some of the Mandalorian clans refused to unite under her, and that's why the Empire was able to wipe them out. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, and I, maybe, well, no, because I was going to say maybe that was just sort of a, an oversight or something they decided just to do for the story of this episode. But obviously having Dave Filoni involved, and he knows all this stuff, I'm sure they'll find a way down the road to to sort of revisit this and make it all gel together. But that's my theory that I'm going off of for now, is that... Um, you know, she already tried once, you know, somebody just gave her the Darksaber and that didn't work. So this time she's like, no, I need a legitimate claim to it. I need to defeat somebody and take this and unify Mandalore and we're going to be strong again. So, um, yeah, it was obviously an interesting twist to see Moff Gideon trying to pit the two of them against each other. Yeah, I agree. That stood out to me, too, when it first happened, how she wouldn't accept it. It's like eh, you did before. But then after thinking about it, that's. The way you said just makes perfect sense where she tried it that way before it didn't work, probably had disastrous results because of it. And she's not going to go that route again. She has to claim it in battle this time. It can't be any other way uh, for her to try to reclaim man, restore Mandalore and claim the throne of it. So I just think she's it's I'm going to chalk it up to that where she tried it before didn't work. And this time it has to be one the way that will give me the respect that other Mandalorians are expecting one to wield the Darksaber uh, to have, and that is claiming it through battle. So it can make sense um, once, I think if you look deeper into it and we get the further explanation that we probably will get eventually down the line to where it's not going to be a contradiction or anything that uh, we saw in Rebels to what we're seeing here now with Bo-Katan not accepting the Darksaber. I think it'll all make sense in the end. I think that we're... We're obviously all going to overanalyze this. And the only thing I'll say is the guy who created this whole thing is in charge and it's Dave Filoni. He, there is a reason for why he did it this way. And mm -hmm. I'm going to wait to see what he has to say because we're all going to speculate. And I know Dave Filoni has a good reason. So I'm going to be just rest on that. <laughs> yeah, no. And I, I mean, I have complete faith in that as well. Um, Dave has yet to let us down so far. So, I'm sure he knows what he's doing with all this. And obviously we've got plenty of stories coming up where he can further explore this kind of stuff. Um, and so of course, you know, they're, they're in the middle of this tense standoff and, uh, you know, Gideon's trying to goad Bo-Katan into fighting Mando and trying to take the dark saber back. And then you hear these alarms blaring and, uh, you know, Fennec checks like the radar or whatever. She's like, oh, we're being boarded. You know, we've got multiple incoming enemies. And uh, Bo-Katan's like, how many life signs? And she says, none. And then you see all the dark troopers coming back and boarding the ship and marching down the hallways. And, you know, it's this, you know, they're, they're just overwhelming odds that are stacked against them. You got the whole like squad of dark troopers lined up outside the hallway, outside the bridge. They've got the doors sealed off. And uh, they start banging on it. And, you know, I was wondering, like, okay, how are they going to get through? Are they going to, you know, do they have, like, plasma torches? Are they going to hack into it or something? And, no, they just start punching the doors. And these things are so big and massive and powerful that after a while it actually starts, you know, denting the blast doors. And these guys are getting through. And Moff Gideon's, like... Uh, you know, you got an impressive fire team, but we all know that like after an impressive, st an impressive stand, everyone in this room is going to be dead except me and the child. And, uh, you know, cause you got who Din, Bo-Katan, uh, Koska Reeves, Fennec Shand, Cara Dune, they're all in there with their blasters on the door. 
but, uh, you know, probably 20 or so dark troopers out in the hallway and it's not looking good. And just the way, you know, you got the pounding of the dark troopers banging the door down. You got Moff Gideon's dialogue. You got the music swelling. And man, I was like, you guys know what I was predicting coming into this. (laughs) And I was like, is it, is this where it's going to happen? And I still, like, like part of me knew it was going to happen and part of me absolutely didn't believe it was going to happen because I was like, this has to be it. This is where the Jedi has to show up. But like, is the Jedi going to be on the ship already? That wouldn't make sense. They'd be out of nowhere. So what, are we going to see like Luke's X-Wing come out of hyperspace out the window or something? Like, no, I don't know what what's going to happen. And then sure enough, you get the alarm blaring, Bo-Katan or, you know, Kara or Bo-Katan, whoever it is, goes to check it. And you see the single X-Wing fly by the window. Now, at this point, I don't know about you guys. I don't even remember my exact reaction to the whole rest of this episode, except as soon as I saw that X-Wing, I got up off my couch and I was on my feet for the rest of the episode. And there was (laughs) various moments of clapping and or cheering and yelling scattered throughout. But as soon as I saw that X-Wing, I knew I was like, I can't believe this is happening. And they, and you know, Grogu just kind of turns his head a little bit, like, and, you know, again, just kind of signaling, like, this is the moment where that Jedi he reached out to is showing up. And just the way that the music changes. Yeah. The X-Wing flies into the hangar and they're watching this on the cam, like on, on the security cam. Like, you know, half of this stuff you see play out, like, like we're there watching it and half of it is like, you know, we're just seeing on these security monitors that Din and everybody is watching from the bridge. But I love just the way the music changes from this sort of, you know, intense, ominous, like dark trooper theme as they're banging down the door to this like mysterious, like almost melancholy, but also like heroic at the same time, like just mysterious Mm -hmm. type of music as they watch this guy in the cloak walking down the hallway and then he's got the lightsaber out. He starts fighting the dark troopers. And I love how like Bo-Katan's looking at it and she kind of gasps and goes a Jedi. And you see this look of terror on Moff Gideon's face. Yeah, where I love that. He's like, dang, I thought I had this in the bag. Like, you know, <laughs> things weren't looking good for me, but then I turned Bo-Katan against Din and the dark troopers came back and I had it, man. I had it. And now a Jedi shows up. Like he's basically crapping his pants at this point. And not even just that a Jedi, I think he knows it's Luke Skywalker because obviously he makes a big deal about knowing everything. That's true. Not knowing or knowing that there is not a whole lot of Jedi out there. He would know that it was Luke who defeated Darth Vader and caused the destruction of the Death Star and the death of the Emperor. So I think knowing that it is Luke is just sending, adding to that terror and fear that was on display on his face. That's a good point. I didn't even think about that Um, because even if he knows just the legacy of the Jedi in general, which I'm, you know, I'm sure he does being part of the empire that wiped the Jedi out, but knowing that if there's any left and one of them is coming after him, that that alone would be a scary thought. But yeah, if, if he's familiar with the story of Luke Skywalker, um, yeah, you can imagine why he'd be terrified. Um, but man, then just the first shot where you actually see not like the black and white security footage but where we're actually in like the cargo bay and you see the green lightsaber come into frame and luke just chopping down those de- the the dark troopers i was gosh i i couldn't believe it i was in utter disbelief like and yet 
again, I'm not trying to like beat my own drum here and be like, oh, I called it. Like, I just thought that was the only thing that made sense. And yet seeing it actually happen, I still couldn't believe it was actually happening. Like, and this is what, I mean, you know, I'm sure we can go more into this, just sort of what this means for Star Wars in general. And, and as far as this being a moment we were all hoping to see, but like, this is what I've been wanting to see since Disney brought the bought the franchise, since they announced they were making more Star Wars. And I'm not going to get into all the debates about, you know, some people are like, oh, this, you know, rights the wrongs of The Last Jedi, or this was the Luke we deserved all along, or whatever. All I'm going to say is I still, like, I think the Luke in The Last Jedi has his place, and I appreciate that mm-hmm. version of the character as sort of a different chapter in Luke's story. But as much as I love that, I too have been like, ever since we saw that, I'm like, okay, but I need more of Jedi Master Luke. Like, I can accept that at some point he moved past that, and that's not who he is in The Last Jedi, but I want a story where he is that, and I want to see that legend of Luke Skywalker again. And so seeing that on screen, just the lightsaber, the force powers, everything on full display, and not just the action, but him just showing up as that beacon of hope and him saving the day yes. and doing what we all envisioned Luke Skywalker would do. Um, but also seeing him just mowing through that hallway, cutting down the dark troopers, it was almost like watching Anakin, uh, you know, just again, the, the moves that he was pulling, he's splitting them in half. He's using the force to throw objects at him and i mean there's one shot that i absolutely love where he like uses the force to pull one of them towards him and then he like in one fluid motion he does like a spin move where he cuts it in half deflects a blaster bolt and then does a force push at another one and it was just oh man like even as i'm talking about it and like i watched the episode again this morning and then i watched just this ending part with luke again like right before we recorded and i still can't believe like I need to go like I feel like every few hours I need to go back and watch it again just to check to make sure that I actually saw what I think I saw. <laughs> this this was a um first of all I was I was completely shocked you were right because I really didn't think that they would go this route. And I in full disclosure even with what's going on as far as you know cuz I have to leave here in a little bit I just want to kind of get to my overall thoughts of Luke Skywalker showing up and, and taking the child. Um, you know, I, for one, it, it was a lot of conflicting emotions with, with this and, and not, and not because one, I was wrong because it, like you were 100% right. I, I just, I am shocked. I was completely shocked and surprised they did this. And not only that, but the fact that they actually got Mark Hamill and they CGI'd it. Like that was another thing where I was just, blown away the fact they went that route and they kept it a secret i mean mm-hmm. and that to me is yeah. really fascinating that they were able to keep it a secret and 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 not have it leak out is really really impressive um so all that being said i i for one was it, it was amazing it was an amazing scene it was beautifully beautifully done and shot and a great moment and it, it felt I think Star Wars fans honestly needed that. And, uh, you know, because I think after after the sequel trilogy, regardless of how you feel about whatever movie you feel, we never saw Luke in his prime. And to have this scene where Luke is in his prime, mowing down the enemy and being the hero we all want him to be was just what we needed. And, you know, I, I, again... 
I have, a, I had a lot of emotions that first time watching it. And it wasn't until the second time where it really, it really affected me even more than I realized and how, just how great it was. And, you know, I know there's a lot, this week was the anniversary of, uh, of the, uh, you know, last Jedi and, and, and Kyle, I owe you an apology. I wasn't, when you were talking about the other night about the last Jedi and I, I just kind of made a, a little big snide comment. It was honestly in jest. I didn't mean to kind of, come across as rude as maybe it came across. So I apologize in advance. I meant to do that in private, but I want to do it right now. So people know like I would not, I've never, I never meant like anything malice by that, which I don't think you thought that, but just in case you did, I apologize. Yeah. Um, I, I appreciate that. No, but, but here's the thing. Like I have a lot of, I have a lot of emotions towards this movie and, and I bring that up only because of just if seeing it in Luke or in this moment was, it was nice. It was a really nice thing to have, and I think it was good for Star Wars fans to get this side of Luke. And it was it was a, a, a it was a, a really beautiful moment for I think for us to see Luke in action. And you know, to be honest, I had I had even more questions after you know the end of the episode, and it was just like, what does this mean? What you know, I. And honestly, I think, you know, that could, that's a whole different podcast of, of what, what we can do, of what's going to happen to Grogu afterwards. And, and cause obviously there's a connection between them, you know, and there's, you know, and I know after I leave, you guys will have a lot to discuss in this, but there's a couple things that I took out of it that I was really surprised about. And I'm like, okay, there's a couple key lines of dialogue by both Jen and Luke. The first one by Luke is, He'll always be in danger until he masters his abilities. So that's the first thing I was like, hmm, okay. Like, so Luke is, isn't, isn't going to be like, you know, you're going to stick with me forever, kid. It was very much like I need to train him because he'll just, he's going to be, he'll be a sought after, you know, as a weapon until this guy can like, you know, become a Jedi and then do, do his own thing. He'll be fine. So I went, okay, that's out number one. Out number two is the, also the fact that that you know Din's like we'll we'll I'll see you again, and I'm like okay, like there, this is not you know and, and also something that me I was really thankful that Tim got on the phone, and we had talked the other day or uh, right afterwards, and I was able to talk to him about it. But it was also nice to have you know or at least this idea of um, that Jin or that Grogu is basically this giant cash cow for, for Disney and to take him off completely out the board with Luke. It just doesn't seem, it just doesn't really make sense to me. Even, even though like, again, it makes sense. I think thematically and like story wise from a commercial aspect, it doesn't make sense. So the fact that Jin said that and everything, Wait, who, I who's, still, who are you talking about with Jin? Din, I'm, I'm sorry. Din, oh, okay. I think Jin, okay. uh, Din, Din, Jaren. Sorry, I Din, we were Jaren, going back Jaren. to one. No, my bad. But, but anyway, the Mandalorian, and he says to her, and he says to him, "I'll see you again." So, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I don't think it's going to be for that long, in one way or another. I still think Ahsoka plays a part in this. I really do, and I, I think that there's something, there's something going on here that I just. I'm like, yeah, there's just some, there's more to it than just Luke showing up and saying peace out. So I think there's a lot of questions to be answered. And I, but again, either way, 
it was a beautiful moment. And I think it was something that Star Wars fans needed to have happen and to see on screen after all we've kind of been through, uh, I think, the whole sequel trilogy, to be quite honest. And it was, even though people have complained about Last Jedi, and I'm definitely one of them, and I still have my issues with it and always will, um, you know, but this was a, a, a thing that I think we all needed to see. And I honestly, it was a beautiful thing to witness firsthand. So beautiful moment. And Kyle, props to you, man. You called it. I never thought they had the, the guts to do it, but they did it. And you know what? I think it just shows you how in tune Filoni and uh, Favreau really are. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, yeah, I know you got to take off soon. Tim and I are going to go back yeah. and, and analyze this whole thing. One thing I wanted to bring up real quick in response to what you said, though, as far as Luke showing up and and taking Grogu off the board, so to speak, in terms of – especially in terms of like mar- merchandising and marketing and stuff like that. I definitely don't think – well, I absolutely don't think this is the last time we're going to see Grogu. Like, obviously. They, no they <laughs> Right. They got, they've got way more stories they can tell with that character. I do think, as, you know, as far as possible speculation about, like, oh, him going with Luke, does that mean that he dies when Kylo burns down the temple? Like, again, I totally think there's a million different ways they could work him out of that. He could be back with Din by that point. Luke could take him back to the home of his own people. He could be paired up with one of Luke's students who's like a Jedi Knight or a Jedi Master or something, and they could be off on a different adventure somewhere when all that goes down. I mean, again, like I said before, think of how many Jedi we've learned survived Order 66, when after Episode 3, we thought it was just Obi-Wan and Yoda. Um, So they could just have Grogu pop up in a story after the sequel trilogy and just make up some reason why he escaped. You know, he wasn't at the temple that night or something. I don't know. Um, but also, and you know what? I was just going to say real quick, we've been through this before. Think about 2007, 2008, when it was revealed that Anakin was going to have a Padawan exactly. during the Clone Wars. Yeah. And we yeah, all yeah. wondered, oh, she's going to have to die in episode three. There's no way. Well, it won't make sense. What's going to happen to her? That's the big question that we had through the course <laughs> yeah, of Clone that's Wars. that's point. Yeah. And look how beautifully that turned out. Yep, she's still alive and kicking 40 years later. So... And one um, of the best characters in Star Wars. So yeah. It's like the and the same guy who was in charge with writing the course of Ahsoka's fate is the same one with Grogu. And if that doesn't give you confidence that all this is going to line up beautifully in the end, I don't know what will. So yeah. it's kind of something where I'm just looking at where obviously we don't know how it's going to go down, but I have no worries whatsoever that it's going to be something that makes sense and is going to be probably a... A beautiful story for Grogu in its own right when it's all said and done. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I also and- think as far as the more immediate future, as far as like, oh, well, you know, are they going to keep selling his merchandise? Are they going to tell more stories with him? Like, obviously, we've got a bunch of stuff announced and we don't know if there's more stuff in the pipeline that, you know, may be coming soon that they just haven't been ready to talk about yet. But I would I think there's a perfect opportunity now. Like I've been saying forever that the the next like Star Wars animated series or spin-off or whatever that I really want is something focused on Luke in between episode six and seven with him training his new generation of Jedi. And now you have a perfect opportunity for Grogu to be a part of that. Like imagine a, like an animated series with Luke training Grogu and young Ben Solo together as kids. Like that would be so awesome. I don't know if you want to put Grogu in an animated series and, and rely on that after you know the what you have with with the Mandalorian. And I think that 
And again, I, I, I'm not saying that's out of the question either. I, to be honest, in, in I my just, opinion, I just think what, it would be easier to do Luke in animation, so you don't have to keep doing oh, the whole yeah. CGI thing. Well, well, no, no, that's what, and that's why I don't think that they're going to do one a Grogu animated series or put him in animated series either. I think they're going. There's going to be a. I think Grogu is not. He's not done I, at all in this in this overall story. And meaning that I think that Grogu is going to be come back sooner, way sooner than we expect. And I still, again, I go back to Ahsoka. I think Ahsoka plays a part in this. And in fact, and maybe again, maybe I'm just I'm wishful thinking. I what, you said something to me uh, uh, in text, Kyle, that I really that I thought was really interesting. That you said that, you know, what wouldn't wouldn't it be awesome to have Grogu and Ray, you know, teach the next generation of Jedi? And I'm like, yes, and, and Ahsoka as well. I keep going back to, I really would love for those characters all to be together in one, like to 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 start the new generation of Jedi. And and, th- and also, you also brought up a great idea too that you know the, the or I'm not sure it was you, Kyle, or someone, but with this whole bring, pushing things forward in the announcement of the Rogue Squadron movie potentially being post Rise of Skywalker. What if there's mention of Ray and Grogu and like he, you know and also the other thing is too is again we, we we talked about this as well is when does Grogu when is he going to eventually age because he's fifty years old right now and he's still a baby when does he become like a cognizant adult and he's able to actually like you know do more things because Yoda was eight hundred years old when he you know died or whatever nine hundred whatever so he's got to be getting to at least like some kind of older age at some point where he's able to, you know, become, you know, a functioning like person. Mm-hmm. So, it, well, it, and, I, and that's that, why I think maybe they'll do like time jumps in his story. Like, I don't think we're going to have like one continuing series where we see Grogu, like learn to talk and then, you know, learn more Jedi skills and stuff. Like, because again, he, he I think that progression is going to be very slow compared to all the other characters since he's so much older and, and is going to live so much longer. But like, say, cause this is what five years after return of the Jedi. So Ben Solo is like a toddler at this point. So, you know, say we have a, a Luke Skywalker series that takes place 10 years from now. And Ben is like 12 or 13 and Grogu could be like 60, 65, whatever, but maybe like he talks now and he's like, you know, around the same age as, as Ben, maybe, as opposed to, like, just a baby. And it wouldn't have to, like, it's not one of those things that has to make sense as far as, like, oh, okay, Grogu has aged this many years and it's equivalent to this many years in human, you know, it can be whatever the story needs it to be. But just knowing that this takes place after we saw him in The Mandalorian and so he's aged and progressed a little bit more. I think that would be a, a smart way to do it because... I mean, how many stories can they keep telling and having him as a baby and all of us just wondering, like, okay, when is this guy going to age? When's he going to grow up? When's he going to become a Jedi? I think it would maybe be smarter to have him keep appearing in different stories throughout the timeline where he's just a little bit older each time. I, I'm, uh, before I leave, I have to leave here in, in one second, guys. Uh, the one thing I will say is, I, again, I go back to Ahsoka. I think there's potential with the world, world between worlds and Grogu. Like there's some, there's something I think potentially there that they may, they may mess with. I just, I, there's something in my bones that tells me that, but I could be wrong. I might be wrong. I probably am wrong, but either way. Well, um, I'll just say they didn't put those markings on the logo for nothing. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And again, those are the same markings that Grogu sits on. And, and again, I, I keep going to the fact of, you know, that maybe that Ahsoka, you know, 
there's something with him that will need to have happen that Luke can't keep around. Or if he does, maybe he trains him. And again, maybe Grogu has that in his species. He spurts up and he becomes a functioning person. Like, and then you're able to go from there. I, so there's a lot they can do with it. He's not gone for very long. I know that for a fact. And that's going to be interesting. Um, this is amazing. Uh, I wish I could keep going, but you know, duty calls, but, uh, obviously we'll, this will not be the last time we talk about this episode. Oh, obviously. and, uh, yeah. So, all right, guys, I will, uh, I will talk to you all soon and, uh, Godspeed rebels. Peace out. All right. See you, Paul. See you Later. guys. All right. Um, so Tim, where did we kind of leave off in our detailed breakdown of this? Because um, obviously Paul just kind of gave his overall thoughts. I know we've already mm-hmm. been going for two and a half hours, but I know you and I have a ton more that we can still stay on on Luke. So let's go back to him. You know, what what was your reaction just watching the carnage in the hallway as he's taking out all these dark troopers? Yeah. So the first time I was watching it, when the X wing showed up, I just my eyes got real wide. Like, whoa, is it? Is Kyle right? <laughs> is this gonna be the appearance of Luke? But at the same time, when you're just seeing an X-Wing, you can't be 100% sure. <laughs> and my brother said uh, afterwards, he goes, wouldn't it have been funny if once we saw the X-Wing and Cara Dune says, oh, great, one X-Wing, that'll save us. It was actually uh, Dave Filoni as Tapper Wolf uh, yeah. coming to rescue everybody. <laughs> um, but obviously, you can't help but think the potential of being Luke Skywalker. And then when you see, through the security cameras, a cloaked, hooded figure from the back walking through the hallways he's like okay it's looking good it's looking good it's possible then when you see the lightsaber even though it's black and white you're going oh boy even more so this is this could happen this could happen but man once you saw even i would say even in that security footage when you just saw like his belt and a quick glimpse of the glove that he has he's like okay like this is it but once that moment that officially sealed it where you saw the green lightsaber and the black cloak. It was just uh, mind blowing, surreal, use whatever word you want. But I got to be honest, when I first saw it, obviously I was happy to see it, but it wasn't like where I had this big, huge grin on my face. Like I did when Boba Fett came back. It was just, I was in a state of shock just because I couldn't believe they're doing it. And that, I'm seeing this version of Luke Skywalker. I was just like lost in myself. Like I didn't know what I was feeling (laughs) during that moment. It was just something that drew me in and just gave me this unique experience like no other Star Wars sequence has because seeing this version of Luke Skywalker was something as a little kid only having the original trilogy to watch and thinking that, Return of the Jedi was the end of the story, but your young imaginative mind can't help but think about potential stories after Return of the Jedi and some of the adventures and action that Luke would have in his prime as a fully trained Jedi. Of course, any young fan would go crazy with speculation and thinking about the possibilities. And that's what was on display in this moment right here. Seeing the stuff you dreamt about as a kid and imagined and even acted out and playing with family or friends of your age when you're playing Star Wars with each other. Sometimes you reenact the movies, but sometimes you create your own new adventures. And obviously Luke would be the forefront of who who you would want to be continuing those adventures in your head. 
So all that stuff was kind of coming back to me as I was watching it and just seeing this version of Luke on display here in his prime, showing what five years of more training um, with the force and getting more experience can do and just seeing Luke reach that potential that we all knew he had in the original trilogy as a Jedi and as a fighter. It was just incredible to see him wield the force, use the lightsaber the way he did. And the way, and you mentioned this too, Kyle, it mimicked a lot of stuff we saw with Anakin, even though when we see it with Anakin sometimes, especially in Revenge of the Sith, when he's taking out all the separatists on Mustafar, and it was in totally different context with him becoming or joining the dark side and Luke's obviously fully in the light here. But just when you're talking about a fighting style, it just, they mimicked each other really well. There's that one moment where you see Anakin block a blaster fire by just flipping the lightsaber behind him and it deflects it back at an enemy. Luke does that a similar move here. It just looks incredible. And I was just, yeah, in a state of shock and just mesmerizing. I guess I was mesmerized was a great word just to what I was seeing on display here. It was just incredible. But then seeing it again another time, that's kind of where the big smile on my face happened because I know what to expect now. And then just really taking into what I was seeing and just being a happy, happy Star Wars fan, seeing one of the greatest fictional characters ever, the, the hero I grew up loving ever since I can remember in this point of his life was just incredible. And like you said, I don't want to go into the whole, I can't believe there's controversy surrounding this. You would think something like this <laughs> wouldn't, but you would think you we'd got, have learned by now. Like, yeah, and it, like watching this episode, you're like, there's no way people can get mad about this, but you know, life finds a way, but <laughs> come on guys. I know because it's on both sides. Those who love the last Jedi, I think this is just dumping on what Ryan Johnson did with the yeah. character and kind of like payback. And those who hate The Last Jedi are just really rubbing it in now. Yeah, this is the Luke Skywalker. It should have been. This proves the sequels handle Luke terribly. And it's like, no, it's just uh, because and, obviously and we're we know, over here being the Bendu, the one in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> like both can exist within the same timeline and, and as different parts of the same story. Exactly, because that's the beauty of it. There is such a huge gap. 30 uh -huh. some odd years is a long time for a, a person to change and go through some stuff that changes you as a person. And that's why it's great to have this scene, Luke, in this time period. But yet, and for me personally, it just adds to, I think, the great arc he goes on in The Last Jedi. And because you're seeing Luke here where, obviously, we don't know everything that's going on in his life at this time. But I would like to think things are pretty good. The Empire has been defeated. He's out trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. And he's, we know he's looking for different Jedi artifacts and hopefully finding students. And what I really like about this idea of him taking Grogu, and we don't know if it's 100% a fact, but for right now, I'm like, I'd like to think Grogu is going to be his first student. And I think that's awesome. The idea that Grogu would be the first student that Luke would take as a Jedi Padawan. And like I said, the way it ends can go a bunch of different ways, but how great would it be where he successfully trains Grogu? And this, again, goes to the whole speculation of how fast Grogu can grow or whatnot. If he is kind of like, for lack of a better word, his first graduate of his Jedi Academy, and he moves on from Luke where he's not his student and he just goes his own path, or um, 
whatever the case may be, we're not necessarily he leaves Luke's the Jedi Temple or whatnot. Um, but it is something where they'll be apart. Uh, but the idea that Luke successfully trained a Jedi, and that goes into the moment where he confronts Kylo Ren and he says that line, destroy everything that I ever loved and built. And Grogu can be a part of that now as some, as one of the things he built and takes great pride in of successfully training a Jedi Knight. And just adding to that quick instinct of reaction that, again, he says, pass like a fleeting shadow really quickly. <laughs> the, the idea of taking something, destroying all that, taking everything that he built, that darkness, it just kind of adds to why he would react that way, in my yeah. opinion. If if I saw my, if I had a vis- vision of my nephew murdering Grogu, I'd turn on my lightsaber for a split second, too. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is why I wish Paul was still on here. I can't imagine his reaction right now. <laughs> I know, right? Um, but just going to the idea that these two versions of Luke, I think it, they can coexist. Not even coexist. It just feels like it is the same character. Because, again, 30-some-odd years is a long time for different things to happen. And it just shows um, at this point in his life, though, it makes sense that this is where we would see the Luke that we've always wanted to see. But 30 years later in the sequel trilogy, it makes sense for he would be the way that we saw him in that movie. So it, to me, it all just works together uh, for a natural uh, portrayal of the character that we got in both instances. But that's enough talking about controversial stuff <laughs> with yeah. Luke Skywalker. But this, I was just couldn't believe it when it was happening. And sometimes even when I'm thinking about it now, I was like, I can't believe we got to see that. And it's just going to be something that is going to be I said this a lot too, a historic moment in Star Wars. And I've said that with a few instances for The Mandalorian season two. And this might be the biggest one yet because it is Luke Skywalker. And yeah, it was just incredible. We knew the season two finale would have to have something big, but I wasn't sure if they'd go fully or full on big, like bringing Luke Skywalker into the mix. And they did it. And it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was uh, just. I still can't believe it's sitting here. I've watched the episode and then just that scene in particular so many times. I've listened to the soundtrack, which, by the way, the the soundtrack for the second half of season two is out now. So go check that out. Um, But, yeah, like you said, I mean, this was just a moment that I think a lot of us had looked forward to for so long. And I feel like it was something that we, as Star Wars fans, just needed. And, again, this is why just to to give my two cents on this and then we'll, we'll... put this to bed but as far as the whole controversy that this has kicked up and people being like you know oh this this totally undoes the last jedi like people being happy about that and then people being mad about that it's like again i'm glad we're on the same page that these you know there's a big time gap in between this and the last jedi this is the same character he goes through some stuff he's a different person at different points of his life and all of those stories can work within the same space, within the same timeline for the same character. But for right now, like, can we just enjoy it? Like, (laughs) and again, as like, you don't have to pick sides. It doesn't have to be, Oh, I don't like this because it feels like it's going against the last Jedi. Or I love this because it's fixing the last Jedi. It's like, I love the last Jedi and I love this. Like, and yeah, for me, I mean, I've come to really love and, and respect and appreciate 
what Ryan Johnson does with Luke's character in that movie and sort of the journey and the arc that gives him. But it was a little tough for me to swallow at first. Like, and again, I wanted this version of Luke and I, I came to a point where I was like, okay, you know what? That's not Luke in the sequel trilogy. I'm fine with that. But I want that version of Luke Skywalker at some point in some story. Like, you know, the the sequel trilogy is not about Luke in his prime as a Jedi Master. But mm-hmm. I want a story about Luke in his prime as a Jedi Master. That's what we finally got to see here. It was just the the purest best form of fan service possible. I mean, it's just like the sort of, it's like a light side version of the Vader hallway scene yep. <laughs> in in uh, Rogue One, where that is like Vader in his prime, right? Just this terrifying Sith Lord. And um, it's like, did we absolutely need that? At least for the story of the Mandalorian? You could argue that maybe not necessarily, but did it feel gratuitous or like it took away from the story or anything? Certainly not, at least not for me. And I've heard some people be like, oh, I don't like that, you know, that Luke sort of takes over and he takes center stage and he like, this is supposed to be Din's story and he should be the hero. But I think, I think they did it perfectly where like Bogatan and Kara and all those guys get plenty of heroic moments in this episode as they're going through the ship, they're blasting the stormtroopers, all that. Din gets his own heroic moments where he takes out a dark trooper, he takes on Moff Gideon, defeats him, he rescues Grogu, he does what he came to do. Mm-hmm. And he seemingly takes out all the dark troopers. But you also see how tough he is, like how tough it is for him to take out take down one dark trooper. It makes perfect sense that their whole group would not be able to take down 30 or 40 dark troopers or however many there were. But by sucking them all out into space, you circumvent that. And it's like, I feel like they had their own, like Din and his whole group had their own sort of arc of like they had their their objective, they had their challenges that they had to overcome, and they succeeded in that. And then the Dark Troopers came back, and it's like, well, crap, how are we going to get out of this one? And then Luke Skywalker comes and takes care of that. And also, it's not like he came out of nowhere, because this was set up a couple episodes ago, where he places Grogu on the Seeing Stone, he does his Force Meditation thing, and we know from Ahsoka that maybe a Jedi is going to hear that, or sense that, and, and come looking for him, and that's exactly what happens. So this is the perfect example of... Something that if they hadn't done it right, it could have totally felt like just empty fan service or deus ex machina where just some random Jedi shows up to save the day and it feels like it's taking away from Din's story. But I think the way that they built up to it through this whole season, this was a perfect payoff and just, again, an incredible moment that so many of us have wanted to see for so long, but also something that felt like it fit naturally within this story and was just a perfect cap off to this season and all, I mean, the the whole season has done that. Cause when you, when you look back on it, you know, you think season two, we've had, uh, Cobb Vanth, Bo-Katan, Ahsoka Tano, uh, Boba Fett, and now Luke Skywalker. It's like on the surface, that might seem like a bit much. And like season two was just the season where they crammed in all the cameos and brought back all these familiar characters. But when you think about how they're all integrated into the story, it all makes sense. And there's not a single one that feels like they just came in out of left field. Like, and, and it all stems from Din having this force sensitive child and he's going in search of other Mandalorians to try to help him find a Jedi to return this child to. It makes perfect sense that he would meet all those people along the way because they're some of the most established Jedi and Mandalorian characters in the Star Wars universe. 
and it's a way of you know reintroducing them during this time period and now we can spin some of those characters off into their own stories but i don't feel like it ever took away from the story of din and grogu and you know just sort of like the the main emotional storyline that they were trying to tell through this whole season yeah i totally agree it just felt like the perfect climactic culmination of this journey that din has been on to bring grogu back to his people which is the jedi now i know obviously when season one we're speculating if it could be his actual race and species and who knows that might still happen like you said maybe luke's going to take him there or he goes there himself when his training is done we don't know but it just felt really great that it was luke skywalker and i know we we're speculating on what was going to happen two episodes ago how i really thought grogu was going to stay with din he wasn't going to choose the jedi path but i guess it is something that is in him that needs to that he needs to cultivate and get that training and i even said how if it was going to be someone who was amongst the living it makes total sense it would be luke skywalker i know i had that yoda force ghost theory there that was more in case um grogu decides not to take the jedi path and maybe a force ghost yoda would have communicated with him or have him come to that conclusion or whatnot but obviously that didn't happen so luke was the most logical choice and the one that just felt like that would give us the emotional impact that that moment would deserve um because i don't know if you want to get into the goodbye moment right now but that's what played a part in making it such a special and powerful moment of grogu going with luke or i should say saying goodbye to din but the fact that he is going to luke um, makes it just an all-around <laughs> emotional experience uh, for these that we're seeing amongst these characters. That just makes it so worthwhile. Even going back to the first, very first episode of the series, where Din lays eyes on Grogu, who at that time obviously we were just calling Baby Yoda, but and just being blown away and amazed at that reveal, and just wondering about the possibilities of what we're going to see with this character. And just to think back then to what we know now as far as his journey has led up to, at least at this point, him going with Luke Skywalker is just incredible to think about, really, um, when you're looking at Grogu's story that we know so far. And we know it's not going to be the last, but, uh, man, that goodbye sequence between Din and Grogu, that was really powerful because just the relationship and bond that they've established within two seasons and it's just crazy when you think about two characters. One, you can never see his face for most of these episodes. And one is just a puppet. But the emotion that these two characters displayed episode after episode with each other, it just built for this very incredible goodbye moment where Din takes off his helmet to reveal his true face to Grogu. And, man, I didn't flat out cry, but I got a lump in my throat <laughs> during that moment because, again, Pedro Pascal just kills it with the emotion he's showing on display here with kind of him holding back the tears and just looking at Grogu, his his son, for the last two seasons. And we don't know exactly how much time has passed, but obviously they spent a whole lot amount of time together and just establishing that father-son relationship and just loving seeing the emotion on his face of how hard it was to say goodbye to Grogu, but um, knowing this has to be done. Um, I mean, this is the way. <laughs> this is yeah. what he was set to do and what uh, the path Grogu chose to go on. And it was just fantastic. And it just makes me think, because we've said before, this isn't the last time we're going to see Grogu at all. But 
as powerful as this moment is, can you imagine how great and emotional it's going to be once they get reunited uh-huh. and he sees them again and potentially an older Grogu who can speak and converse with Din, just what that's going to be like? It's like, oh, man, that's going to be an amazing moment in itself. And I think we'll eventually get that somewhere down the line. But for right now, this was just such a great moment between these two characters who we spent the last two years with. And just such a great emotional payoff. And one thing I want to ask you, too, the, when Din took off his helmet, it was a great moment. But do you think it could have been even more impactful if this was actually the first time Din took off his helmet and this is the first time we're seeing his face? Or do you think getting those small glimpses in season one and then the episode before of Din's face added to the impact of this one? Because even though we know what Din looks like, we're now seeing Grogu experience at that for the first time. Yeah, I'm. That's something I've kind of gone back and forth on because, like, part of me does kind of wish, maybe not that it was like the only time that we ever saw him take his helmet off, but especially that we hadn't seen him take it off just in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Like, and it was definitely still a very powerful moment, obviously. Um, but yeah, part of me just felt like that maybe would have been even more impactful if we hadn't just seen him take off the helmet the episode before this. That they maybe could have had that like somewhere earlier in the season or or spaced it out a little bit more or something. I don't know. Um, But at the same time, I do. I still think it shows a lot of growth and development for his character. Like the first time we see his helmet come off, it's out of complete necessity. Like he begrudgingly lets a droid take it off when, you know, he's supposed to not even he's, he's not supposed to have it off in front of a living being. Right. And so. He doesn't want to take it off in front of anybody, but then IG-11's like, yo, look, I'm not a living thing, and I'm just trying to save your life, and you're going to bleed to death if I don't take your helmet off. And so Din kind of reluctantly goes along with that, and it's a life-or-death situation. Then we see – and, and you know, we see it a little bit like earlier this season when he's just lifting up the bottom of his helmet to like, you know, him and Grogu are sipping soup together or whatever. Um, and so you kind of get little teases of that that he's – like, if there's anybody that he's going to take his helmet off in front of, it's going to be Grogu. Like, they're developing that type of a relationship. But then in the last episode, you see, you know, again, you've got Mayfeld kind of challenging him on his beliefs. And it's like, well, what are, what's your, your creed? What are the lines you won't cross? But then, like, what are you ultimately willing to do, you know, when when it comes down to it? Like, when it's absolutely necessary. And so we see him in that moment remove his helmet and it's not a life or death situation but he's doing it to save Grogu it's like if this is what I gotta do to get the coordinates to Moff Gideon's cruiser and go get my kid back that's what I'm gonna do so he does it first he does it in a life or death situation then he does it in a situation of absolute necessity to accomplish his goal and does it for the child but it's almost like a life or death situation for the child he's like I have to do this to be able to go rescue and protect my son and now we're at a point where he's willing to do it to connect with someone emotionally. And so that's sort of, and he's obviously like the last time he did it, he did it in a room full of Imperials that he didn't know, ended up killing Mm. all of them except for Mayfeld. And then Mayfeld had the honor to be like, Hey, put your helmet back on. I'll pretend I never saw your face, whatever. But to now do it with a bunch of people that he's close with. So, you know, he obviously he's doing it for Grogu, but like Cara Dune, Fennec, Shand, Bo-Katan, they're all there in the room too. And he's taking his helmet off in front of all of them just to have this moment of connection with Grogu before he sends him off with Luke. And he didn't have to do it. 
like Grogu could have gone with Luke anyway and been just fine if Din had kept his helmet on. So the fact that he was, it wasn't that he had to do it, but he was willing to do it and he wanted to do it just to connect with his son. Almost like Vader telling Luke, you know, help me take this mask off. He's like, I don't Mm. care if I die. I want to be able to look on my son with my own eyes one time. And Din, obviously, like, it's not, it's not yeah. like he was about to die here, but he's like, I want to have this face-to-face moment with my son before I send him off with Luke, and I don't care about my creed or, you know, the other people watching. So, yeah, just, I mean, again, e- even though it m- it maybe would have been more powerful in a different way, like, it would have been more surprising if it was the first time that we saw him take his helmet off, but I also think seeing that progression of the other times where we've seen him do it and it was out of dire necessity and now it's just this more quiet emotional moment where he absolutely doesn't have to but he's just willing to and wants to um i thought was a good sort of culmination of his character arc for the season yeah that's that's a great point i love how you mentioned the moment between luke and vader kind of you can get that same vibe and feel to it obviously different circumstances but kind of that father-son connection that they want to have which um, he, he says, you know, we'll see each other again, but he doesn't know for sure. Maybe this will be the only time he sees Grogu. It's definitely probably might be the only time he sees him this young. So to have him see his face for the first time like that. Yeah, it was just great. And another th- cool thing about this moment, too, that I don't want to forget to mention is the appearance of R2 here, mm-hmm. <laughs> which mm-hmm. kind of because Grogu was still reluctant to let go of Din here. But once R2 comes up, that's kind of what gave him the little push to officially join. And they, I think they had a conversation here, <laughs> which we weren't privy to to know what they were saying. And talk about your mind speculating on what uh, could possibly be being said here, especially with R2. Because uh, he like sees him almost like he recognizes him. And that could be either because he looks like Yoda or R2 has seen Grogu before. Being... Anakin's droid, maybe he has strolled down the Jedi Temple and seen Grogu during that time period. And there's that moment where he gets excited, that excited R2 beep that we're so accustomed to, like where something was acknowledged between them. And I just really want to know what that is because yeah. I, I think it could be something really cool. But R2 is kind of the one that kind of gave the final uh, push for Grogu to join with Luke. But just seeing R2 there with Again, that young Luke Skywalker. That was just a great moment as well. I don't know why, but I'm just so in the moment there, not knowing what to expect. But seeing R2 there was like, oh, yeah, R2's with Luke here as well. Like, I should have realized that, but it's just great that we're getting R2 here as well, which is something I wasn't expecting too, but it just all played out really great. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that at all either. And then, yeah, once I thought about it, it's like, oh, yeah, of course R2 would be with Luke. But I I was so caught up in the emotion of the moment and just watching Luke and then seeing Din and Grogu together that then when you hear R2 beep and then roll in, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's R2. <laughs> um, and it's funny because you're talking about like – R2 and Grogu maybe having a a conversation or maybe even a past connection. Like, I didn't even really think of that because to me, just on a more surface level, it kind of seemed like one of those situations where I don't know if you've ever been at like a family gathering or something where somebody's got a baby and like the parents are trying to calm the baby down and like the baby's crying Mm -hmm. or whatever. And for whatever reason, it's like the one like younger cousin or somebody or like a younger (laughs) sibling who doesn't know anything about parenting or childcare that's just, you know, comes in with like this, you know, just fun, innocent presence that's able to like connect with the kid and calm them down when the adults aren't able to. And that's kind of how I felt like this was like, 
you know, you've got you've got Luke trying to get Grogu to come with him. You've got Din saying goodbye to him and telling him he has to go with Luke. But just the fun, quirky little droid ro- rolls in and piques Grogu's interest, and that's what makes him want to go. Um, just like on a real world level, seemed like something that a baby would do. Like the oh, of course R two D two would be the the one to finally uh-huh. convince him and and get him to be more comfortable with it. Um, but yeah, just such a great scene. And there's, you know, just, yeah, that scene where, where Din and Luke are kind of out of the shot and it's just that frame of Grogu and R2 kind of looking at each other. I absolutely love that. It's such a, just one of those magical Star Wars moments. Yeah. And like you said, (laughs) the emotion that's conveyed between a beeping trash can and a little green (laughs) frog puppet. It's something that only happens in Star Wars. The emotions that you feel watching these two inanimate (laughs) objects beep and make baby noises at each other like what the heck is this man yep but it's just melting our hearts <laughs> and yeah god this episode is so good man <laughs> yeah yeah and and i mean we kind of glossed over and just went right to grogu leaving an r2 and didn't even talk about like the reveal of luke like once yeah. he cuts down <laughs> once he cuts down all the dark troopers once he comes in the room and just that shot and it's it's just one for the ages. Again, kind of mirroring the Vader hallway scene. I love how there's like this is such a light side parallel of that. And there's so many instances in this where even though Luke is being the ultimate like light side Jedi hero coming to save the day, you can also see so much of his father in him. And I love that. Mm-hmm. And what's great about that, the contrast is where Vader is in that same pose and he's going to attack and cut down and murder all these rebel soldiers. But with Luke doing the same pose, that's after he rescued the protagonists and our heroes in this moment and took down the bad guys. It's just great. It has that same father-son vibe. It's almost shot the same. The coloring of the lightsabers illuminating the dark (laughs) corridors that they're in. But one was doing on the side of evil and one was on the side of good. It's just, again, the fantastic father-son dynamic of Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker that just makes the Skywalker saga of their family to so engaging uh just love little callbacks to that where you get that same vibe but it's in two completely different circumstances but yet connected still (laughs) it's just great yeah yeah. and one other quick little thing i want to mention too i I already mentioned this like at the beginning of the scene but i think the soundtrack for this whole scene with luke is probably like my favorite piece that ludwig goranson has done for the whole series um and one of my favorite pieces like it's instantly up there with like some of my favorite star wars tracks because it's so like you would think it could just be a a cool fun moment where luke is flying through the ship cutting down dark troopers and they're just like blaring like a triumphant version of like the force theme or the Mm -hmm. star wars main theme or something but the music is so like there's no other word for it but epic like it's heroic and uplifting, but also kind of like mysterious and almost a little bit melancholy at the same time. And, um, but I think that plays perfectly towards like everybody's attitude towards the Jedi, since he's really like an unknown entity at this point, because then it's kind of reflected in like, once he cuts down all the dark troopers and he's at the door, 
And obviously, like everybody on the bridge, they've all been watching him on the monitors the whole time. And Din is like, open the doors. And Bo-Katan and Casca are like, are you crazy? Like, we're and, and I think it's actually Fennec is like, you know, are you nuts? Like, we're not letting him in here. They've just seen what he did to all those dark troopers. They have no idea who this guy is or whose side he's on. And they don't want any part of him. And Din is the only one that trusts him enough to like, no, like, put down your weapons. Like, I think he's here to help us. And he opens the door. Um and Luke walks in, you know, walks through this cloud of fog with the lightsaber lit and with the hood down over his face. And then he pulls the hood back and you see just, it's Luke Skywalker. Like, and of course we knew that ever, you know, I, I knew that since the X-Wing came in and it's been fun. Like I've watched a bunch of people's reaction videos and you see like sort of the different moments when people realize it's Luke. Some people know as soon as the X-Wing comes in, some people don't realize till they see the green lightsaber or the cloak or whatever, but um, you know, we, we see his face and I was on edge again thinking like, is it Sebastian Stan? Is yeah, it some other young too. actor? Like, who's it going to be? And it's funny because as soon as he pulled the hood back, I think I said out loud, I was like, oh, it is Sebastian Stan. And then I looked closer and I was like, wait, no, it's just Mark Hamill. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> like, cause for whatever reason, it never once crossed my mind that they would do like the CGI, like de-aging thing and just have it be a young Mark Hamill. Um, and this is something, like, I don't know how you felt about this, Tim. This is one of those things that you could nitpick about. Like, I think it wasn't perfect. It was pretty dang good. And, like, especially in that first shot where he's just kind of standing there, I think it looks pretty spot on. But then, like, the way that he moves a couple times and, like, the lip sync with the dialogue and stuff is, like, it's, like, 99.6% perfect, but it's not 100% of the way there. Um, and I think if they ever were to do, like, a Luke you know, a, a spinoff or something. This is why I think it would work better if they just did an animated Luke series. I think if you were to do a live action series, you definitely would have to cast someone younger. Yeah. Um, but for, for just, you know, one appearance here at the end of an episode, I thought it was fine because to me, like, again, it's not technically perfect. It could have been a little better, but it was good enough that it was Luke Skywalker. You know, and so I'm not going to sit there and nitpick all the little CGI imperfections and stuff, because for me, it's good enough that when I watch it, I don't see an actor or a body double or a CGI face or whatever. I just see Luke Skywalker, and that's good enough for me. Same here. I was just so caught up in the moment that any CGI tells or imperfections that you could see in it, I wasn't noticing when I was watching it the first time, even the second time, really it has to be when people kind of call it out and saying it's not perfect because it's not. But for me, I really had to like pay attention and realize that, yeah, there are some moments where you could tell it's CG when, when he's talking more, but when you're just watching it and just so ingrained in the story, it's like, no, for me personally, it doesn't take away from what I'm seeing. And it's not a distraction at all. Like you said, I am seeing a young Luke Skywalker there and it just looks good enough for me. And, I think they did a great job and things. This technology is going to keep getting better and better. And I'm glad it's being utilized now in sparing instances where it's just a scene or two here, because like you said, that's why I don't think anyone should get excited for a potential live action Luke Skywalker series if, <laughs> with Mark Hamill and the de-aging effect, because I don't think that is something they can realistically do for a whole series. Um, unless they recast, like you said, but for instances like this, yeah, I'm glad they did that because like you said, there was an instance where I thought, oh, it is Sebastian Stan. And even after the whole scene, I was 
kind of waiting for the credits too to get that 100% confirmation. And when Mark Hamill's name came on the credits, like that's awesome. It's just so good that it is Mark Hamill who got to play Luke Skywalker in this time period again. I mean, I'm sure that was the last thing he'd be expected to do, but I cannot wait to hear him talk about it more. Probably this Monday, there might be some interviews like we've seen with the other uh, character appearances that we've gotten. Yeah, I'm sure they probably And then I don't think we might have mentioned it offhand, but the fact that we're getting that Disney gallery special next week mm-hmm. for season two, that's awesome. I think it's just going to be a special. They didn't mention it's like the next season of that, but yeah, it's Which probably just I guess gonna... kind of makes sense because maybe like because of COVID, they couldn't all be together to film all those like round table yeah, discussions exactly. and stuff. So I'm just hoping that like, if it's just one special for the whole season, I hope it's a lot of behind the scenes footage and a lot of making exactly. up stuff. And hopefully it's, you know, a, a good length, like maybe an hour and a half to two hours. Um, yeah. That's what I'm hoping for. And just talking to all the actors on set, like Mark Hamill, when he was filming the scene, Rosario Dawson filming as a so good Temuera Morrison filming as Boba Fett getting interviews while they're on set. That's yeah. going to be awesome. You know what I would love to see as a shot in the, the Disney gallery is, um, you know how there's that image of George Lucas holding the child. And then Rosario Dawson yeah. said that when they took that picture, she was just off camera in full costume as Ahsoka. I would love to see that and see her with George. That would be so cool. Yeah. I'm hoping for a lot of Lucas on this <laughs> documentary. Hopefully he was on there. For a couple of episodes. I would love it if he was on set for this moment with Mark Hamill and Luke as well. That would be awesome. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see too like how much – you know, like obviously I'm sure they had like a, a body double playing the younger Luke mm. and doing all the the lightsaber stunts and all that kind of stuff. But then for that scene, like was it – did they just do a CGI face and kind of paste it over that or did Mark Hamill actually do – the performance that they recorded and then sort of de-aged his face. Obviously he did the voice. And actually that's one reason why I am really glad they decided to go this route. At least again, just for this one episode, I don't think you could sustain this for a whole series or something, but um, I've been talking to a couple people about this since I watched this episode. This is one thing that really struck it, like kind of stood out to me as far as the, uh, the authenticity of it was having Mark Hamill's voice in there. Because if you think about it, Mark Hamill, like, just when you when you think about him as Luke, he doesn't seem like he has a very distinct voice. You know, he doesn't have, like, an accent, or he's not like, you know, like a Morgan Freeman or a James Earl Jones or somebody that has one of those instantly recognizable voices. And so it seems like something that would be pretty easy for, like, a voice actor or somebody to, like, replicate or, or get pretty close to and have it still feel like the same character. And yet I can't tell you how many, like, Star Wars video games I've played where it throws me off that Luke doesn't sound yeah. like Luke. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I guess Mark Hamill's voice is actually more distinct than I thought. And so, and I wonder how, like, how much, I mean, obviously I'm sure they put a lot of thought into this, but maybe how many different avenues they explored like maybe if they did have like sebastian stan or some other kind of actor like audition for this or screen test for it and and try some different options to see what they thought would work best um but yeah i think having mark hamill's voice in there is a big part of the reason why i'm glad that they decided to go this route and again it may not look a hundred percent perfect and i think like if i had to nitpick one thing my biggest issue with it is that i think it forced them to kind of be limited in his performance 
like if you notice because he like stands in one spot the whole time and doesn't move a lot mm. and so i think he comes off as a little stiff and you compare that to like the ahsoka episode and her like explaining stuff to din and interacting with grogu and i would have liked to see a little bit more of that kind of stuff even though he like just comes in at the end of the episode um but he just kind of stands there and and you know motions to grogu and says a couple lines and he has the one part rebends down to pick him up and again i think the fact that like this is stuff that they did on on rogue one with like tarkin and leia but the fact that I mean, I don't know what their budget is for The Mandalorian, but it's obviously not as big as it would be for a feature film. So they probably had less to work with and maybe less time to try to do this in. Um, So I think that sort of limited what they could do. But again, having it just be this one appearance of Luke at the end of the episode, I thought it worked well enough to just convey that, like, it made it look and feel like Luke Skywalker. And that was good enough for me. So I I freaking loved it. Yeah, 100% agree. And then, of course, yeah, like you said, you know, R2 shows up, Din takes his helmet off, you have just these great emotional, you know, character moments and stuff, and then, um, you know, finally Grogu has his little interaction with R2, and then he looks up to Luke and, you know, puts his arms up, and Luke goes and picks him up and just says, may the force be with you, and walks away, and Din and everybody watches, they just get into the elevator, and the door closes, and again, just the the music swells, and it's just freaking beautiful man like i really wish we could watch this on a movie theater screen um and uh, this whole season has had some great moments that i'm like man this is on par with like movie quality star wars but this in particular like especially just seeing luke's green lightsaber blade come into frame again uh seeing him fighting those dark troopers been hearing the music that sounds so just beautiful and cinematic and then just having these big moments with with Luke and R2 and, and Din and Grogu and all that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'll ever be able to see this as some kind of theatrical experience, but I would love to actually the apartment that I just moved into a few months ago, they actually have a movie theater in here and it's a small one, but it's like, you know, you can go in there when nobody's using it and, and just watch your own stuff. But I don't think it's been open all year because of COVID. Like, that was one thing that I was really mm-hmm. looking forward to when we moved in this place. So as soon as COVID's over and I can go use that movie theater, this is one of the first things, probably the first thing I'm going to watch is just put on this Mandalorian finale and see, uh, you know, Luke Skywalker tearing it up on the big screen. And real quick, you know, I'm a blue lightsaber guy. That's my go to color. In every game I play, and if lightsabers are real, that's the color I'd have. If I go to Galaxy's Edge, I'm making a blue one. But I got to admit, seeing that green lightsaber in Luke Skywalker's hands again felt pretty darn good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that lightsaber in action. It was quite the thrill to see that green lightsaber uh, being used by Luke Skywalker in ways we've never seen before. And I'm with you in general. I'm more of a blue lightsaber guy. But it's funny because as a kid, Luke's green one was always my favorite. And then I think like the prequels and the clone wars and Anakin and Obi-Wan made me love the blue lightsabers more. And again, like if I could, if I could, you know, build a lightsaber for myself, I think I'd make a blue bladed one, but it's like every time I see Luke's green lightsaber on screen, I go, Oh, but I love that one though. Um, so that one might still be my favorite. It's so hard to pick. I feel like my favorite lightsaber changes a lot, but um, I will say Luke's Greenwood is my is my original favorite and one that I always keep going back to. So yeah, it was so cool to see that again, especially when um, 
I mean, that was one thing I was kind of disappointed by in the sequel trilogy is that we never really got to see that in action. And we see it in the flashback scenes with him and Ben and then the flashbacks of him training Leia. Um, but we never really get to see that saber like in the present. So, um, yeah, just just seeing that again and seeing him in action with it was just it was incredible, man. I still can't believe that we're talking about this. I know. <laughs> it's just man, this season was just so great. The way it just think it can't top itself when Ahsoka, we got the Ahsoka episode. It was like, man, this is almost this is probably as good as it's going to get. Then we get Boba Fett and the way his return was done perfectly. It was like, man, how can they top this? But of course you really don't get any bigger than Luke Skywalker and the way they were able to pull that off to cap off. what was an incredible season. I mean, I just can't give nothing but applause and adulations to Dave Filoni and John Favreau, as far as being the main showrunners, but just everyone involved in this season in this episode. Peyton Reed did an amazing job directing this one. Yeah, something totally different from the second episode, which I thought he did a great job with that one as well. But something totally different, creating such an iconic moment. Now it's already iconic. This whole Luke scene is iconic. Oh yeah, just doing a fabulous job with this version of luke skywalker i mean he knocked it out of the park with this episode too so just everyone involved just gave us something truly special um with star wars and something that i know a lot of fans are never gonna forget the first time they watched it it's gonna be one of those things that you'll always remember seeing this moment of luke skywalker's return here it's it was incredible yeah definitely and it was it was kind of surprising um that he ended up taking Grogu at the end. And, you know, again, like this is just the season two finale. We know we're going to get more of the Mandalorian, but this, it really had like a sense of finality to it. And I did like how, and not only do we know there's more story to be told, but I feel like within this episode, Bogatan kind of set us up for a season three at the beginning when she, like when, when Din and Boba go to like recruit her in the bar And she tells Din, she's like, if you're successful in your quest to get the child back, I would ask you to reconsider our, you know, joining our mission to retake Mandalore. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was a clear, like, okay, if he gives Grogu over to the Jedi in this episode, this is where we're going next. Um, But still, like, you know, and we had talked about this throughout the season, going back to the end of last season when the armorer says, you know, this is your quest now, like, until he's returned to the Jedi, like, you're like his father and, and you're a clan of two and it really felt like this was our setup for the whole series that it was going to be Din and Grogu together on this adventure to go find the Jedi. And I will say the whole thing kind of wrapped up, like they resolved the whole, uh, get Grogu to the Jedi storyline faster than I thought they would. Same. Yeah. But it didn't really feel rushed. It didn't feel like we missed out on anything. Cause if anything, I feel like if they had spaced it out more, it would have just been a lot more kind of mission of the week, him, you know, encountering weird characters and monsters on different planets and doing more just kind of bounty hunting stuff and just kind of traveling and exploring the galaxy as he's slowly but surely making progress toward this goal. And so I will say this season was kind of, the story was a lot more focused than I expected. And and almost every episode, with the exception of maybe a couple of them, he made a lot more direct progress on his journey than I expected and, and got a lot closer to finding a Jedi to, to hand Grogu off to. Um, and so, like, I loved it, but now it leaves us in this weird place of like, oh, well, 
that's kind of it, at, you know, at least for, for that story and for these two characters for the time being. But it's also one of those things where, like, I'm just going to look back on season two of The Mandalorian and it's like, if the if season three and beyond of this show are bad, which I absolutely don't think they will be, like, it's fine. Like, they could not make any more of The Mandalorian and I would be happy with what we got in season one and two and especially season two. Like, just this season on its own is just some fantastic Star Wars content. And I love the possibilities now where they're kind of jumping off from this and we're getting uh, Ahsoka and the Rangers of the New Republic and Mandalorian Season 3 and the one other thing that we have yet to talk about from the end of the credits. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's it's weird that just, like, I'm super excited for what comes next and I'm at the same time I'm also just so satisfied with what we got with the way that things were built up this whole season like i can't wait to go and just i'm gonna take a saturday or something and just binge this entire season from start to finish and i feel like this episode in particular i think is gonna work even better like at the end of a, a marathon binge because the whole thing is just kind of fast-paced action and you know like a lot of the dialogue in there there's kind of like some expository stuff about mandalore and the dark saber and stuff but i don't feel like this episode in particular has a lot of great like character development and arcs and stuff like that um except for like the stuff between din and grogu at the end i think it's just it's a lot of action and then just set up for this huge payoff with luke um that really just like I'm still kind of trying to work out how I feel about like this episode on its own in terms of like just how it tells its own story. And not that it's not that it's bad or anything. Like I still think this is a fantastic episode as a whole. And obviously the stuff with Luke at the end is one of my favorite Star Wars moments of all time, let alone just the Mandalorian. Um I think just like the last the last 10 minutes or so of this episode like from the time that X-wing shows up like, that's my favorite moment of the season, bar none. But as far as ranking the episode, it's a little hard to place for me. And I, I've been keeping a ranking throughout the whole season. I made a ranking of all the episodes from season one. And then after every episode of season two, I've been slotting the episodes in there as far as, you know, and so keeping a ranking of all the episodes of The Mandalorian in one list. And I feel like with every episode, it's been pretty easy to place. Like, okay, I think this is my new favorite, or this one goes below this one or ahead of this one or whatever. And I haven't been able to place this one yet. I think it's mm -hmm. definitely at the top of my list, but I think, like, I just have some minor nitpicks and things with the episode overall, like I was talking about earlier, just kind of some of the, the pacing and the way that up to the, the point where the Dark Troopers come back, it kind of feels like things are a little too easy, and I wish Moff Gideon would have been a little bit harder to beat and i even like i was sure at the beginning of the episode watching it for the first time that somebody wasn't making it out alive and they maybe could have you know like I, f I feel like we maybe could have felt like they were a little bit more in danger maybe lost somebody along the way just to kind of add some stakes just like how we lost quill and ig11 back at the end of season one mm -hmm. um so it's it's a little hard to place the episode overall for me although i mean just for luke alone it still ends up probably in my top five somewhere um, but it's, it's still definitely a great episode overall, like aside from some minor nitpicks, I mean, the action is fun. The story is fun, but then Luke comes and it's just like, well, there's that, like, it's <laughs> yeah. just forget the Mandalorian. That's just pure star Wars right there. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just incredible. I don't even remember what my original point was that I was getting at. Um, <laughs> but I freaking love this finale. Yeah. When it's all said and done, it's just. 
a great finale and I'm going to even say pretty much a perfect season of the Mandalorian. I just yeah. couldn't be happier for what they gave us. We were excited going into it for the, its potential when we heard about all the appearances of characters we may be seeing in this season and it delivered on every single one of them. And then you throw in Luke Skywalker, but close it out. It just, wow. I, there was not a disappointing episode in this season, in my opinion. Obviously, no. you like some more than others, but as one cohesive story, I think I mentioned this when uh, we're talking about the last two episodes where me and Paul did that little marathon with the first six and just how great that felt of watching this story unfold. And now, I, like you said, you're going to do a marathon. I can't wait to do one, too, now knowing that the season is complete and knowing how it ends. It's going to be incredible to see this as its own Star Wars story from episode, or I should say chapter nine to chapter 16. It's going to be incredible to watch all the way through. And it was amazing to experience these last eight weeks and probably the best eight weeks of continuing Star Wars content that we've ever gotten <laughs> that these episodes were able to deliver for us on a weekly basis. I just could not be happier with this season and just the potential of the future too, because I have heard from some people as well that this kind of felt like a series finale. If they wanted to end it here, it did have that feel, but at the same time, we know it's not. And the potential of the story moving forward, um, not just for Grogu and Luke, but for Din and the potential of restoring Mandalore and the conflict that he's going to have with Bo-Katan with the Darksaber is going to make for some very interesting stories in the future as well. So it's just a lot to be happy about with this season, this episode, and what's to look forward to with The Mandalorian and the other series that we're getting on Disney Plus with Star Wars. It's just, man, just when you think it can't get any better, you just think about the future and it probably is going to get better. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's just an amazing feeling to have as a Star Wars fan. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, and then okay, so so I think we've we've said about as much as we can say about Luke and just how incredible the end of this episode was. Let's jump to the end of the credits real quick, though, because um, the oh, well, yeah. the other thing that kind of gave this almost like a series finale kind of feel was the fact that there was no concept art over the credits, yeah. um, and it was like a different music. It, it wasn't the same uh, music that usually plays over the credits. It was again kind of a more a little bit more somber, I guess, um, soundtrack. And that's also on the, that, that ending piece is also on the soundtrack for the second half of season two, which I highly recommend people go check out. Um, I've already listened to it like several times. Um, I was walking around target yesterday doing some last minute Christmas shopping, had my mask on of course, and my AirPods in listening to like the music from the scene where Luke is arriving and, and cutting down the dark troopers and just had this huge <laughs> grin on my face under my mask that nobody could see. Um, Doing your shopping like a Jedi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so, so the credits were different. And then at the end of the credits, which I don't know, like, I'm sure like most people, I wasn't intentionally sticking around to the end of the credits. I was just kind of sitting there processing everything that we had just seen and just kind of letting the credits run. And then it's like, oh, shoot, wait, there's more. And uh, we're back on Tatooine. You see the twin sons and it pans over to Jabba's palace and Bib Fortuna is chilling in there now. And he's uh, kind of let himself go since the last time we saw him in Return of the Jedi. But he's got really his... trying to emulate Jabba here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, <laughs> Jabba's gone. Somebody's got to be the uh, the obese gangster of Tatooine. Um, 
but you know he's got his guards he's got his slave girl and suddenly you hear blaster shots and fennec shan comes in and just shoots up the room which i was thinking about this when i was watching it again today i'm like obviously fennec's cool she's an elite mercenary and all that but boy are those guards useless like because yeah. <laughs> fennec isn't like pulling any fancy maneuvers she's not doing any acrobatics she doesn't have any like special weaponry she just walks in there with her blaster and shoots everybody and everybody just kind of like freaks out and panics and starts running nobody shoots back nobody takes cover like i'm like boy bib you know you got you got yourself some terrible guards but i think that's more to do with you know i wouldn't say that's like lazy writing or anything i chalk that more up to just like you see kind of how far the place has fallen since Jabba got mm -hmm. taken out and, and Bibbs just kind of a pretender and, and he's kind of incompetent in his own right. So, um, but yeah, Fennec Shan walks in there, takes everybody out, shoots the chain off like the Twi'lek slave girl and lets her go free. And then Boba Fett comes in and, uh, oh, and it's funny because Bib Fortuna is played by Matt Wood and, uh, you know, he's like, oh, Boba, you know, I thought you were dead. And I heard that all these rumors and it's so great to see you again. And Boba just shoots him, takes yeah. his body, <laughs> tosses him out of the chair, sits on the throne. Fennec Shan sits at his right hand with a bottle of Spotchka or whatever she's got and just, you know, takes a drink as Boba's sitting there now king of the, the gangster scene on Tatooine as his really cool theme music that that we first heard back in episode six starts playing. Mm -hmm. So. And then, of course, it cuts out and has text that says the Book of Boba Fett coming December 2021. Um, so before we get to speculating about the Book of Boba Fett and what that's going to be, uh, how would you feel? I mean, I know you're a huge Boba Fett fan, so how would it feel to see in this post credit scene with him going back and uh, kicking some butt on Tatooine? Yeah, so here's the thing. Every episode, I watch the credits all the way through, obviously for the concept art, but then... I just let it play all the way through because usually talking about the episode with who I'm watching it with everything that went down. But for this one, since there was no concept art, what I did is just immediately rewound it back to see the <laughs> Luke sequence again. So I didn't even make it to the end of the credits. So after I watched the Luke sequence for the second time and the credits were going, I just, okay, let's stop it. Talk about a little more. Then I sent out a tweet of my reaction to the episode. And I was ready to go to bed because I watched, stayed up late to watch it that Thursday night at midnight. I had to go to work the next day, so I was going to go to bed kind of right away. And then I got a response on my tweet. And I got to give a shout out. It's C.S. Evans who just said, how about that post credit scene? And I went, wait, what? <laughs> post credit scene? What are you talking about? <laughs> I go, I just boot up at Disney Plus on my phone and just go through it like, oh, wait, there is one. I see. I just moved the bar a little bit and saw quickly saw a glimpse of Java's palace. So, okay, this is big. I got to turn the TV on again, <laughs> turn on my Xbox and watch it on my TV. And then seeing Java's palace and then seeing the, his guards, Gamorrean guards get blasted. You kind of know what's coming. And first it's Fennec Shan, even though we don't see Bowie yet, it's Fennec Shan. We know she's close with Boba now. He's not going to be too far behind. So once he enters the throne room, and Bib Fortuna starts talking. And I didn't know it was played by Matt Wood again. That's cool. Because I know he played him in The Phantom Menace. But he obviously didn't have any dialogue. Oh, I didn't even realize he played him in Phantom Menace. Yeah. And so 
once he starts talking and saying, oh, there was rumors that you survived and all that, I think that was kind of like a meta reference to for all the legend stories that we've gotten about Boba surviving the Sarlacc pit, but yet it was never officially confirmed until now. So I thought that was pretty fun. But Boba not even saying anything, just takes him out, just throws him off the throne <laughs> like he's just disgusted at the sight of Bib Fortuna and just sits on that throne like a boss. <laughs> I mean... It was just awesome to see. My only complaint is that there is no dialogue for Boba here. We couldn't hear Timmy Moore's voice again. But, yeah. uh, but at the same time, it is kind of cool that there was no dialogue. It just That's the type of Boba Fett that kind of harkens back to more what we saw in the original trilogy. The man of a few words right here and just is there to do the job. And we just don't know what this job is in particular. But until we get, before we get into the speculation of that, I just love that we got a sequence like this. And just Boba kind of going back to where everything went wrong for him on in Java's palace on Tatooine. And I just really can't wait to find out the reason for why he's going back there. And it's funny, it's just kind of making me think, uh, we know Boba wasn't around for the end of the episode when Luke shows up, but can you imagine Boba's reaction if he saw Luke yeah. <laughs> again? <laughs> Might have caused some problems in that moment. <laughs> but at the same time, too, I was kind of disappointed that um, oh, we didn't get more Boba Fett at the end here because I would love to get the conversation that happens between Din, Boba, Fennec, Bo-Katan before they part ways. Like, where are things left between them? Obviously, Boba fulfilled his promise and his oath to deliver the child safely back to Din for helping him bring his armor back. So I'm sure they're leaving things on good terms, but I would just love to see the way these characters left each other. And maybe we will get that in the beginning of season three, or maybe not, but that would have been nice to see. But I just love that we did get more Boba by the time this episode was done. And not only did we get more Boba Fett, but we got a tease of what's to come. And once it said the book of Boba Fett, I was like, oh, man, what? is this a new series? And then when it said that faded out and then it said coming December 2021, I just literally yelled, yelled out, yeah, like and <laughs> everything. It was just great because we were talking about how we didn't get that announcement during the Disney shareholders event of all the series we got, we didn't get one about Boba Fett except Kathleen Kennedy just teased about the next chapter. Um, not necessarily the Mandalorian, but talking about the different series that are going to be connected in the timeline of the Mandalorian, like Ahsoka and Rangers of the new Republic. And after she was done talking about that, she said the next chapter will continue in December, 2021. And of course we all just assume that's going to be season three of the Mandalorian. But it turns out that next chapter in this story, I think amongst all these series that we're going to get in this time period is going to be the book of Boba Fett. And man, if we're going to have to wait a little bit before we get to see the Mandalorian season three, I can't think of nothing better than to fill that gap than a Boba Fett series, whether it's yeah. limited or an ongoing, I don't know yet, but the fact we're going to get more Boba Fett in his own series next year during this time. Yeah, I am ecstatic that this was what uh, the season finale of the mandalorian left us on the tease of a new boba fett series it's gonna be incredible <laughs> i could not be happier yeah and see i i kind of had my own speculation about this because we had heard rumors like back like at the beginning of this season that season three on the mandalorian was about to start production like by the end of this year and then 
once we saw Boba come back at the end of that first episode, there were rumors that like, oh, wait, it's not season three. It's a Boba Fett spinoff that's in production. And it was kind of like, which one is it? And when it said the book of Boba Fett coming December 2021, I kind of put the pieces together and assumed the book of Boba Fett is going to be season three of The Mandalorian. And also with the title, because I thought, like, I don't know, the book of Boba Fett, like that sounds like an odd title for just a spinoff series. Because that almost sounds like like the book of Boba Fett almost sounds like it would go with something where it's you also have like the book of something else. And, you know, the other spinoff series aren't called like the book of Ahsoka or the book of Lando or whatever. And it's not like Boba Fett is about mythology and history and lore. And so why they would call it the book of Boba Fett just seemed kind of odd to me. But I thought, OK, maybe especially because all the Mandalorian episodes are broken, like they're each called chapters and the. It, the chapters kind of continue from one season to the next. So I'm like, maybe they're going to rebrand seasons one and two as like the book of Din Djarin or the book of the child. And then the next season is going to be the book of mm. Boba Fett. And then we'll eventually get back to Din and Bogatan's story. And that'll be like the book of Bogatan or the book of Mandalore. So I still think that could be a possibility. Now, I've heard from some people online who claim they have connections or sources or whatever that season three and the book of Boba Fett are going to be two different things. I would also be completely happy with that. I don't think we're going to get both at the same time, like next December. But yeah, yeah maybe we're going to get the Boba Fett spinoff first and then we'll get season three shortly thereafter, like in the spring or something like that. I hope we get confirmation about uh, like some some more clarification about this on Monday. It's Sunday night as we're recording right now and Monday is usually when they like reveal all the behind the scenes stuff on starwars.com and like the actor interviews and stuff like that. So I'm hoping that's one thing that we get some more clarification on tomorrow and maybe an official announcement about the book of Boba Fett if that's going to be like its own series or something like that. Um and if not tomorrow then maybe when the Disney Gallery special comes out on I think that's coming out on Christmas Day. Yeah. So maybe that's something they'll talk about at the end of that, um, you know, if they give any teases about what's to come in the future. Um, so hopefully I actually just saw, too, that uh, John Favreau is going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow. Oh, so well, there we go. Maybe that could be somewhere he'll announce at the end of that interview where what the book of Boba Fett is going to be. Yeah, I'm sure if he's doing uh, press and, you know, doing like a press tour or appearances on Good Morning America, I'm sure now that the season's over, there are probably going to be some people that publish interviews with him and Filoni and people like that. Mm -hmm. So somewhere, I'm sure somebody's going to ask about it. And I hope the answer isn't just, well, you'll have to wait and see. I hope that they, you know, just give some clarification just as to uh, whether that is season three or whether, Boba Fett and season three are two different things. And, you know, if Boba Fett is the next one coming out in December, then when can we expect season three? So hopefully we'll get some answers about that stuff very soon. Um, but regardless, super exciting news, because like I was saying earlier, I've loved seeing Tamura Morrison return to the role of Boba Fett this season. And I really think he's kicked it up a notch like he was great as Jango Fett. And it's cool to keep hearing him voice Boba Fett, like, in the the original trilogy special editions and in, like, the video games and stuff like that. But, like, just the weight that he's brought to the performance this season really has me excited to see him carry his own spinoff. And then this idea of him going back to Tatooine, taking over Jabba's palace. It's like, we thought that The Mandalorian was going to be this sort of dark, gritty show about, like, bounty hunters in the underworld and stuff like that. And it turned out to be, like, it still had its awesome action and its gritty moments and stuff, but it turned out to, at its core, be this really heartwarming series about this relationship between, uh, you know, essentially an adoptive father and son. 
Um, and, you know, so now it's like we can continue that story of Din Djarin and then also go to Boba Fett and get that gritty underworld story that we wanted. And yeah. uh, just, gosh, I, I'm I'm almost equally excited for both of them. Because obviously also as a huge Clone Wars fan, I'm excited to see more of Bo-Katan and the Darksaber and Mandalore and see how all that plays out. And obviously it seems like that's where Din is, where Din's story is headed for the immediate future. But, uh, yeah, I will say as someone who, like, I mean, I wanted to see a Boba Fett movie or spinoff or something at some point. But when The Mandalorian got announced, I was like, okay, cool. So we're getting a new Mandalorian bounty hunter. And Kathleen Kennedy said, you know, because of that, like, they were just focused on The Mandalorian for now. They didn't have any plans to do a Boba Fett spinoff movie or anything like that. I'm like, okay, cool, whatever. I'm Not that I don't like Boba Fett or don't care about Boba Fett, but, like, if we never see Boba Fett in the Mandalorian, it'll be fine with me because we got a new Mandalorian and he's cool. And I've gone from that mentality to now by the end of the season being really excited for this Boba <laughs> Fett spinoff. So, um, gosh, yeah, it's it's going to be great. And I can't help with speculating what the episodes or the series might be about. I'm for some reason I can't help but think of it could be some little bit like Arrow as far as how that was formatted. As far as, because you know how much I want to see some Boba Fett flashbacks, especially him getting out of the Sarlacc pit. Ooh, that's it, a good point. In a way where each episode is kind of, there's two time periods going on where we see a flashback of Boba pre-Sarlacc pit, and then that connects to the mission he's on in the series. And even again with the Arrow comparison, you know, on season one, he had that book of all of the enemies he has to mm-hmm, take out. Mm-hmm. What if the book of Boba Fett is something like that? Oh <laughs> my gosh. Where if, he's if, taking out. Well, yeah, it either. could it could be either him taking revenge on people and just every episode mm-hmm. like he's tracking down Bosk and Dengar and IG-88, or it could just be bounties and he's, maybe he teams yeah. up with some of these people and it's just – again, you can have just a, a mission of the week of, of Boba going on you know, bounty hunting missions and this could also be way more of like a, a gritty uh, – you know, playing him kind of like an anti-hero um, – you know, I, I envision almost like a, I don't know, like Breaking Bad or something like that, where the hero's not, like, the the protagonist is not necessarily a good guy. Because obviously in this season with him teaming up with Din, like, we've seen that he has sort of a, a sense of honor and a, a bit of a code and that he maybe has been, like, humbled a little bit by his, his brush with death and that he's maybe not quite as ruthless and intense as he used to be. But then at the same time, at the end here with him just walking into Bib Fortuna's palace, shooting up the place and like, I'm in charge now. He definitely still has that ruthless side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's going to be a really interesting, like that can make for, for some really interesting characterization with him going forward. And whatever the story is going to be seeing that, that ruthless side of him and the, just the bounty hunter that's out for himself and balancing that with his code of honor and, and you know, what his father would have done and all that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited for it. Next Christmas, we're going to be in for some more great Star Wars content. Yeah. If I can already put something on my wish list for this series, I really hope whatever adventure he goes on takes him back to Camino at some point. Because oh. I would just love for him to go back there. Oh, for man. Whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. Or just come in contact with a clone at some point. Yeah. Oh, that would be really cool. Yeah. I yeah, think, there's a lot to be excited again, about. Again, <laughs> you know, my one wish. Aside from just hearing more of Tamara Morrison's voice, seeing more of that armor, and just seeing more of him in action like we did this season, um, I want to see Cad Bane. 
especially in a flashback. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying, we could see flashbacks to him coming out of the Sarlacc pit, but we could also see flashbacks to him like training as a young bounty hunter and uh, maybe getting the armor for the first time and see some stuff that we never got to see in, in some of those unfinished Clone Wars episodes. Yeah. Um, so I see, just the, the Clone Wars fanboy in me just... Uh, if we're seeing all these characters come back into live action, I want Cad Bane and Hondo. Those are the two that are still on my list that we haven't seen yet. Yeah, Hondo I could definitely see, yeah. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Cad Bane and that unfinished Clone Wars arc, I was really starting to think and almost to the point where maybe expecting, I probably shouldn't think this because nothing's been said, but that that particular arc could be done in the Bad Batch series where that could be a story they can adapt and take what they did in Clone Wars and put it as a story for the Bad Batch. That's possible but, too. And I think we might've mentioned that on our last episode too, or that's at least something that's crossed my mind. But now with the book of Boba Fett, what if they decide to dedicate a flashback episode to that story and it's done in live action? Yeah. And how cool would that be also? <laughs> yeah. I would love that. Well, and I also think, I mean, obviously they're primed to just have a spinoff like starting from the end of the Mandalorian and just following Boba on like whatever he's doing on Tatooine and ruling the underworld now, but also the book of Boba Fett, it maybe could be like an anthology of Boba Fett stories where we like mm-hmm. see different episodes or yeah. an, an entire episode of like stories of different times throughout his life. Um, and so you could see an episode of, you know, a young Boba with Cad Bane and then one with him kind of coming into his own as a bounty hunter in between episodes three and four. And we could see one of him falling into, you know, him escaping the Sarlacc pit and all that kind of stuff. So lots of possibilities there. Yeah, but lots of potential for some really cool stories, man. This is exactly what I was hoping for, again, with the return of Boba Fett, getting not only his appearances here in The Mandalorian, but the idea of getting his own series and what stories we can get from that. It's again, a dream come true (laughs) for this lifelong fan of the character. Oh man. This whole season has been crazy. Again, the fact that we got Cobb Vanth, Bo-Katan, Ahsoka Tano, Boba Fett, and Luke Skywalker all in the same season seems nuts. And yet they were all handled so well. And all of those stories and all of those episodes are so phenomenal. Um, yeah, I really do think, I mean, we kind of already talked about this, but I, I just think looking back on it as a whole, season two is just some of the best Star Wars content we've ever gotten. Um, and I think it's just going to stand as one of those really special things and one of those really special times, especially when this whole year has otherwise been so just garbage. Um, 2020 really has not been a bad year for Star Wars fans. Like we got no. Clone Wars <laughs> season seven and then we got season two of The Mandalorian and both of those um, have just given us some really special and spectacular Star Wars stories and moments that I think we're going to be enjoying for a long time to come. Yeah, I think the tagline for this season of The Mandalorian should be The Mandalorian Season 2, where Star Wars dreams come true. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Um, well, I think we have said just about all we've got to say on the episode for now. Um, yeah, for now. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be talking about this one for a while to come, and I'm sure Paul will probably have more thoughts the next time we're on since he had to leave early. Um, but before we yeah. head out here, uh, I, let's hear what our listeners had to say. Yeah, needless to say, there was some excitement about this episode. <laughs> so on Twitter, we'll start off like we always do. Uh, first off, Hassan Scarborough says, this episode was totally awesome and amazing. So many feels, sightings of ships, lightsabers, 
family fights with weapons and hand-to-hand. The future of Star Wars is bright. And then Derek Beebe says, the finale was amazing, was an amazing ending to an amazing season. I loved all eight episodes. I hoped to see Luke, but I figured it would never happen. So I was over the moon. I'm very confused about what season three entails, though. I definitely need to see more Mandu and Grogu. And Jake Wade says, I'll keep it nice and simple this time. 2020 has sucked, but Luke Skywalker has just single-handedly saved the year. (laughs) And Star Wars Junkie says, it was amazing, but still processing. On Christmas break now, so I think I have to go through the entire saga, starting from episode one all the way to nine, including Solo, Rogue One, and The Mandalorian in order. And that's another thing I want to say real quick. After seeing this episode, it just leads you on such a Star Wars high that I felt the same way that Star Wars Junkie did here, where I want to watch all movies again, everything of Star Wars, just continue that buzz and to see the story play out of the saga. So I had that same feeling and glad to see others are feeling that same way. Just this makes you so happy that uh, what this, the saga has given us and it just continues to give us. So that's cool. And then Chris McGuffin says this episode made me cry more than anything else in Star Wars ever has. I really hope they have a plan for Grogu because I don't want him being at Luke's Academy when Kylo destroys it. And then Caitlin says, seeing Luke in action again was amazing. He's building his training academy and probably looking for kids just like Grogu. It felt like watching the OT again. And then Getter says, this series is the best thing since the original trilogy. The design, the feel, the effects, the ships, the stories, the characters, the creatures. It's pure 100% Star Wars, and I love it. I was going nuts. This makes me love all the films even more, and it connects all nine. How crazy crazy is it that all nine have meaning in this series? I hope Dave Filoni and John Favreau are running all Star Wars TV and film. And then Caleb Klingon says, "Absolutely or absolute perfection." And he has this great image of Ahsoka with some like animated hands. Mm-hmm. Oh <laughs> really yeah, it's great. that image of the guy from the the Emperor's New Groove. Okay, where he's got like his soup or whatever that he's made, and he's just making that face like, "Oh, it's perfect." Yep, it was just a great image to see. And then Martin Alman, our longtime listener and friend, gives probably my favorite response. He goes, "There is no emotion. There is peace. There is no ignorance. There is knowledge." There is no passion. There is serenity. There is no chaos. There is harmony. There is no death. There is Star Wars. <laughs> yes. Quoting that like Jedi mantra there, but editing it with Star Wars there was just perfect. I love that, Martin. But he goes, there is nothing else I can add other than how lucky we all are that we had this show adding to the lore we all love. Outstanding storytelling, period. And then on Facebook, Jason Burtz says, the Mandalorian series is so awesome. I enjoyed every episode this season. Can't wait for season three next year. And then James Hewing says, predictions for a season three is that there's going to be a time jump. And Mando is the king of Mandalore. And they are trying to locate other Mandalorians to bring them home. And then his thoughts on season two, he says, I legit yelled out, it can't be when the X-Wing appeared. Still thought it might be Ezra when I saw the blade. But then I saw the glove. And this, he has that shocked emoji face on there. <laughs> just an amazing season. So much fan service. So, yeah, just I just love seeing the buzz and excitement that this episode created and just the potential for what's to come still in this series with season three as uh, we've gotten some predictions and hopes for what uh, other people want to see with The Mandalorian as the series continue forward. But just for this one episode, yeah, it was just great to see so many other people feel the same way that we did when we first saw it. So, as always, thank you, everybody, for sharing your thoughts 
and feelings on this episode because that's one thing this episode definitely gave us was the feels. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you guys all for chiming in with your thoughts. It's been uh, great hearing from you and, and great uh, just being in touch with you guys for the whole season and, and getting your thoughts for all the episodes. I can't believe the season's over already. I know. That's um, the one negative. <laughs> yeah, that's the one downside is that, you know, it's it's already over and we got to wait a whole nother year for another season or another series or whatever it's going to be. But um, like I said, I'm right now I'm just grateful for the ride that we've been on. Um, it's just been a heck of a season with some fantastic Star Wars moments, some of the best ever, in my opinion. Um, Hi, right there with you. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because even as we're talking about it, I'm like, oh, there's other stuff that we haven't – like a, a couple other points that we didn't really mention or, or speculate on um, as far as like where things could be headed with Din and Bogatan and the Darksaber or the fact that Moff Gideon mentioned you know, Grogu's blood and, and bringing order and essentially kind of yep. giving more confirmation that that could be leading towards Palpatine and the First Order and all that. Um, but I'm sure – like, unless we get any more news in the next couple of weeks, which we probably won't because the holidays are coming up and everything, you know, we'll probably take a break for the next few weeks, come back after the new year and maybe just do, a, you know, an episode where we reflect on Star Wars in 2020 and just give some more thoughts on the end of, of this season and stuff like that. Um, and then also, of course, we've got the High Republic to look forward to that starts next year. That first novel comes out January 5th. And we were talking about before we started recording, we'll probably do an episode dedicated to that probably closer to the end of January, once we've all had time to read it and uh, maybe check out some of the comics and stuff. Um, I know we're all at least planning to read that first light of the Jedi novel. So we'll mostly be talking about that, but um, yeah, it's been uh, like I said, in, in what otherwise has been a weird year, it's been a year full of some great star Wars content. That's uh ending on quite a high note here with the return of Luke Skywalker. So I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. It sounds like you did from those of you that uh, send us your comments and stuff. Um, As always, you can follow us online and send us more comments, questions, whatever. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. You can uh, follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues. Uh, You can send us email at starwarstsc at gmail.com. And you can check out our website at starwarstsc.com. Also, be sure to check out thunderquack.com for all the other awesome podcasts in the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Uh, But that's going to do it for now. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Uh, Thanks for joining us on this uh, awesome adventure that we've had for this past season of The Mandalorian. Um, Happy holidays. Happy New Year. We'll see you again in 2021 and hopefully have some more awesome Star Wars content to talk about. But until then, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time and may the Force be with you. See you next time, everybody.